This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Secret University Societies. Secret University Societies. They're secret and they're elite. This episode of Pod Cemetery is also made possible by the generous support of listeners like you over at patreon.com/podcemetery. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's back to school week here on Pod Cemetery with 2000's The Skulls and 2020's Initiation. Both movies that take place at college in fraternities, sororities. Kind of, yes, sure, why not? Secret societies in one of them with our first movie, The Skulls. Yes. I mean, they're both pretty much about fraternities. One's just a little bit more on the edge. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we got The Skulls directed by Rob Cohen. He was the director of the original Fast and the Furious and Triple X and Dragonheart, if you want to get a sense of his bona fides. Mm-hmm. Written by John Pogue and starring Joshua Jackson, Paul Walker, Hill Harper, Leslie Bibb, Christopher McDonald, Steve Harris, William Peterson, and Craig T. Nelson. Interestingly, I just want to drop in here that we did just do Prey last week. And the working title for Prey, what was on the actual script, was Skulls. Hmm. Which is a terrible name for what it was. It is a terrible name. Because there's kind name. of nothing about skulls in that. Well, at one point he there's stands the, on the skulls, I think. And there's the there's buffalo with the hole. Him. But, like, there's nothing about the theme, you know. Oh, I thought there was a shot of him standing on skulls. Not really. I mean, he, he like, he grabs his trophies. There's the skull. There's the spine. But that's not really, like, a focal point of the movie. No, not at all. Uh, so, anyway, Prey is much better. Uh, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 2000's The Skulls. Kelsey, can you tell us what it's about? Joshua Jackson is a poor kid that wants to go to law school and doesn't have enough money to, so he wants to join this secret society that's going to pay for it. And, like, it's this really melodramatic movie about power corrupting. It's not really a horror movie. (laughs) I I my memory, My memory of it was different. Somebody dies. I remembered it being, which I'm sure the trailer makes it out to be. I remember it being more about like paranoia and like, are they out to get me? Are they not out to get me? Is it in my head? Uh huh. Not. Not as much. No. This is more on the firm side of horror, <laughs> which we've talked about in the past. It's not. It's just a thriller. It, um, yeah. If you even want to call it that, it's more of a drama. <laughs> It is available to rent for $3 and buy for $15 or $14 on Redbox for some reason. Should people watch The Skulls? I think you should see it once. Oh, no, no, no. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, I think it's great. No, no, no. 90% of the movie, I was like, Kelsey, what have you gotten us into? <laughs> I guess I never saw the movie when it first came out because I knew like none of this. <laughs> 
but I was aware of the movie. I, 90% of the movie was terrible. <laughs> Until like the last 10% when you're like, I mean, is it terrible in a good way? Like all that melodrama, it just leans hard into it towards the end. Mm-hmm. But everything up to that point is just cliche, 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 cliche. Well, the first cliche. like 15, 20 minutes, it is just exposition, exposition, exposition. Yeah. exposition. You're uh-huh. just like, whoa. I- <laughs> Whole characters have conversations that is just like introducing people. Yes. And they try to be clever about it by like having recruiters talk about their potential recruits. But they only talk about the people who are going to be main characters in the movie. And it is just terribly obvious he was a skull from the day he was born uh like the way they talk about it it's like there might as well be narration it's he did win us the championship twice but he's poor he's a townie yeah he's poor but he's good at absolutely everything but also nobody likes him because he's a punk but also he does everything perfectly and it's like what uh, he's what is this character he hasn't accepted any society he clearly is waiting for us yeah it's just terrible. And there's a commentary about the cost of schooling back in the year 2000, which is very real. But he's also going to fucking Yale. But he wants to go to uh, Harvard Law afterwards or yeah. something? Or just law school afterwards, and he doesn't know how he's going to pay for that. Right now, I think he's got a scholarship because he's a rower, and yeah. he does he works he's in, in the cafeteria. Crew. Yeah, he works in the cafeteria. <laughs> Jesus. And he just happens to be friends with this very pretty, very rich girl who is also in love with him. But for some reason, they just don't tell each other. And then they also have their token friend. Yes, there, there's there's that. no ex- ex- explanation for like why they even are together. They're not together. They're not dating, but they are. It's very weird. And there's no explanation. Of She's that. an artist, but she comes from a rich very family. Rich family, yeah. Her, her she, at parents point, own a private jet. I've never even been on a jet. At like, one point, this she's is the dialogue. wearing, like, I think overalls, and she's got paint all over her. She's got glasses on. She's got her hair in the uh, braids. And I'm like, okay, so just she's all that? Okay, all right. Right. It made me think of how they make fun of that in Not Another Teen Movie. Yes. It's, uh, I would say, wholeheartedly unequivocally you do not need to see this movie if you do you just have to go along with the melodrama and you might enjoy it i love it i get it i love that stuff (laughs) there's moments we'll get to it we'll get to it (laughs) you can take our advice or leave it when we get back we will talk about the year 2000s the skulls in a place where tomorrow's leaders are groomed. Where did Mr. McNamara learn to row? The local sewers, I imagine. He's a townie. He won us the Ivy League championship three years in a row. That's all I know. In an organization. Are you ready to be reborn? Where success is assured. Our membership has its pleasures, its hardships, and sometimes its pain. We live by the rules, we die by the rules. Gentlemen, welcome home. Luke McNamara is about to get an opportunity. A skull above any other. He's only dreamed of. Senator, it's a pleasure to meet you. What do you think of all this? To be honest, it's all a little bit overwhelming. 
But if a secret society can give you everything you desire... This is your pre-acceptance to the law school of your choice. That's got to be a mistake. You are a skull. Imagine what they can take away. None of us are safe. What are you going to do? We live by the rules, we die by the rules. I want to know the truth about what happened that night. The surveillance cameras. So there's got to be tapes. Can you get any closer on this? Closer. I know what you did. It's time we remove Mr. McNamara. He's no longer loyal. This February. If you keep digging, you're going to dig your own grave. Only an elite few ever get in. I have evidence. They raised the tape. Who? The skull. They control everything. No one has ever gotten out. They're dead. If it's secret and elite, it can't be good. Would you like your life back, Luke? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the skulls begin? With some words that fade. Every year at certain Ivy League colleges, an elite group of students is chosen to join secret societies. Unlike fraternities, these societies conceal their actions as they mold the leaders of the future. At least three U.S. presidents are known to have been members. The most powerful secret society has always been the Skulls. Is that true? No, there's no such society as the Skulls. There is a Skull and Bones society that, yes, we are aware exists. And presidents, other, other people in government have been a part of it. And there are other such societies like that. Like the concept exists. The Skulls specifically is not real. Mm. We are shown a river because, again, Joshua Jackson is a rower. He's in crew, Kelsey. Okay, whatever. But it's so not important to the story. I guess that's why they pick him. Yeah. But it's it's how he stands out. But then they just don't bring it up again, really. Nothing with it. But I wanted to bring it up because they show a river, and I've been on that river. What river is that, Kelsey? I don't know what it's called, but I believe it's in New Hampshire, even though I... Well, I did go to New Hampshire, and Vermont is right next to New Hampshire, so I'm sure that it was just right there. Yeah. But, yeah, so I I definitely have been on that river, and it's a gorgeous river, and it's a huge river. Yeah, he – so he is the captain, and his best friend, Will, is the coxswain, who just keeps the rhythm – Keeps the rhyme. Provides instruction, like that sort of thing. It's bobsled time? It's bobsled time. Are we on that scene where we actually see them race? Uh, No, because we still need to see the scene with his old high school buddies. Oh, yes. Who are bad seeds, because he used to be a bad seed. Misspent youth, as he'll call it later. Meanwhile, we will meet in that group of friends. Yeah. Sully, played by Derek Asland. (laughs) Who we know from. Urban Legends. The final cut. He was the weird guy that they were trying real hard to get you to believe was the actual killer. Yeah, he's the guy at the end who gets to finally be in their movie as the killer, which I thought was kind of mean, but funny at the same time. (laughs) I did write down Jesus with this heavy exposition. Everyone is having nothing but expository conversations. It's real bad. Mm -hmm. Where did Mr. McNamara learn to row? The local sewers, I imagine. He's a townie. Mother died in a car crash when he was one, father unknown. Ready, row! 
You won us the Ivy Championship three years in a row. That's a fact. He's growing on me, Wheeler. It's all right. What a perfect day for racing, I must No need to check him out, huh? Why, it's Caleb Mandrake. He was a skull the day he was born. Why would Paul Walker's character care at all about the rowing competition, the crew competition? I do not know. He's literally just there to watch it so that they can talk about both of them at the same time. Right, yeah. And yes, of course, both of these men are gorgeous. Let's just get that out of the way. Here's the thing. Joshua Jackson can act. I don't think he's a great actor. He lays on that voice that he has, that gruff voice, a little too thick, especially in some moments where it's like, dude, loosen up your throat a little bit. We got to work this thing out. Okay, there's got to be some middle ground here. But Paul Walker, as ever, couldn't act his way out of a fucking paper bag. We disagree. He is terrible. I do not think he is terrible. I don't think he's great, but I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he gets a pass just because he's dead now. He seemed, for all intents and purposes, by all accounts, a nice, honest, good person. And very handsome. But he is a terrible actor. There is even a line that I called out. I don't remember what he says. Where he's like, I had you, man. It's one of those lines. You are are a menace to society. But you didn't like it. It's like, oh my god. You are a menace to society. (laughs) You are a menace to society. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) This is straight out of Fast and the Furious, directed by Rob Cohen. Uh, I had you. I had you, man. (laughs) You had me? What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. Oh, he gets so mad. <laughs> you didn't have your car. <laughs> you never had me. You never had your car. But they show us that Joshua Jackson is a quick thinker, a leader. One of the guy's oar things breaks. and He's like, bail. Yeah, he drops the oar itself, and then he needs to jump at a particular time. And the theory is they have one less uh, person on an oar, but they also have less weight. And they start to lose, but then they... Make up the slack. And he and wins the, the, game, the, the championship yeah. again a third time in the row. Despite the fact that Will is the coxswain and he has to keep everything in line, uh, he's not given credit for any of that. It's Joshua, Joshua Jackson for making the call and timing it appropriately and doing the risky move. So they win. Yes. And that night while celebrating, they're going to awkwardly have to get up to get their drinks from the bar. Right. Just like, how did they order their drinks? They ordered the drinks. They were sitting at a table. (laughs) The drinks were delivered just to the bar and just left loose on the bar. And then they had to get up and get them. What bar operates that way? No bar operates that way. Either you order it at the bar and you stay there. Yeah, because what's going to happen? Somebody's going to take your fucking drink. Or you ordered it at your table and it's brought to you it's already been brought in <laughs> you better bring it oh it's already been brought in <laughs> you don't need to get up and get it they have that conversation about student debt here and apparently the skulls pay for grad school and that's why he wants in right so they have this whole conversation but I guess his friend's just not paying attention. Because, because it's later, be important, you're right. His friend's gonna be like, 
I don't know why you want to be part of this this club. And I'm like, D- he already told you. And I'm yeah. pretty sure he probably would have told you all three years prior to this that he right. wants to be part of the Skulls because he really wants to be part of it. I don't understand where this confusion comes from. Now, I do know that he does say here, if it's secret and it's elite, it's got to be bad. Yeah, all I know is if it's secret and it's elite, it can't be good. He says that while putting on his bucket hat, which I gotta say, guys, is back. What a I, great punctuation to his statement. Yes. He says, if it's elite and secret, it's bad putting on a bucket hat. It's hilarious. And guys, it's back right now. And like, I bucket went. Bucket hats are in. I just went to a 90s party and I was just like, okay, so it was easy to get for this party, but like, why are bucket hats everywhere? Uh huh. Because they should not be. <laughs> it's so funny that you're younger than me and you hate the 90s yes i do i love the 90s hate it the 90s are when i turned 12 and you know what that's when you turn 12 that kind of solidifies everything uh i was 12 i hated that you were 12 in 99 it might as well be 2000 same thing you say that the uh new decade doesn't start for three years fair enough (laughs) you got me there you definitely got me there but yeah no i just i love I love the 90s, always have music, fashion, and I love how ridiculous it is. Don't get me wrong, I, I think there's valid in the there there's value in the 80s, but most of the 80s, what it was like actually living through the 80s, it it was bad most of the time. Like every day fashion in the 80s, like we look back fondly upon like The fashion that was in movies and shit like that. But the actual fashion that you saw every single day was terrible. And it's fun to, like, ironically, like, that's cool, you know, in an ironic sort of way. But, like, is actual high fashion? Absolutely not. We disagree. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Bucket hats, that's right. (laughs) So that night is going to be the last opportunity that he has to get an invitation. He needs to be invited by midnight that night or else he didn't get in. And you kind of just need to be scouted. It's not like you apply for it or anything like that. So they're hanging out until it's midnight. the The clock is ring is uh is ringing, right? The the you forgot about the dumb waiter. Oh right, they introduced the fact that there's a dumb waiter. Let's talk about this dorm. <laughs> oh my god! It doesn't look like a dorm. Anyone who's ever been to a dorm, unless maybe at Yale, because they're rich people. But he's not. Know. He's in student loans. Right. Why the fuck would he have that room? I don't know. With a roommate, it's like a full blown apartment in like a really fancy part of town. Like one of those. Like everything's brickwork, and I understand a lot of buildings are made like that. There's nothing you can do about it. But we're not talking like cinder block brickwork, which a lot of dorm rooms are. We're talking just like really fancy shit. Like that apartment alone would sell for multi-millions of dollars. And they just gave it to these kids while they're going to school? Now, Chris, you never lived in a dorm? I did not. I commuted to school. been in a dorm? Yes, yeah. Uh Okay, you've been in people's dorms. Okay. Yeah. I lived in a dorm, and I can tell you that they have nothing like that. (laughs) Well, we'll get a good look at what a dorm actually is, kind of. It's still a little too big in initiation, right? You have those tight, narrow hallways that's always a white or off-white color with with, uh, uh, fluorescent lighting, and you go in, and it's a single room, and there's two beds and... 
two desks, and that's like it. Yes. And, like, there's no space for anything, and that feels real. I got real lucky. I got the biggest room on the floor. I got uh-huh. the corner room. I don't know how I did. And my roommate, maybe it's because I was a shitty roommate. I don't know. But she left after the first semester, so I had the whole room to myself oh, nice. the second semester. That's really nice. So I rearranged the whole the furniture. It was really nice. That's really cool. But, yeah, this it's ridiculous that they live in these places. Meanwhile... Leslie Bibb, Chloe, lives directly above them. One or two stories, I don't know which. But so they can take the dumbwaiter between the rooms. These rooms have dumbwaiters. Are you telling me that at a college there's a dumbwaiter connecting rooms where students live in a co-ed building and they're not locked or it's not disabled or something? It's really important that it's here because she'll use it once. Once to escape. Really quickly. Yes. And you could have found any number of other ways to get her out of there. Yes. It was completely unnecessary Mm -hmm. and just did not fit the setting whatsoever. Mm -mm. Anyway. But he gets these ridiculous instructions over the phone. Pay phone, 40 seconds, building, 20 seconds, lose the bike. Yeah. And he finally gets there, and there's a drink that he's supposed to drink, and we see him like somebody's watching him. We'll find out later that it's his friend Will, who got there in, let me remind you, just over a minute. Yes. How did Will get there? How did Will know where he was going in order to get a good vantage point? Unexplained. Although, he has been researching the skulls because mm-hmm. he he writes for the newspaper. He wants to do an expose. Yeah, and he does. He, he writes his article. We're supposed to feel great about him writing about tenure and how it's bad for the university and it stifles innovation. That's the kind of shit that people tell you when they're trying to take money from you. I didn't well, know that all he it was does. That. That's the article that they're talking about that he wrote. The university's tenure system only rewards mediocrity, allowing our faculty to wallow, wallow in selfish pursuits, making secondary their primary purpose. Teaching undergraduates to think. Bravo. That's a great article, Will. Bob Woodward, I'm not, but give it time, give it time. <laughs> because the point is, is that, well, all it does is it just ensures that old teachers can't be fired. And it's like, what kind of organization are you working in where you want to regularly turn over your staff and how does that foster innovation in any fucking way shape or form well we can get younger people in there yeah the only reason you care about getting younger people in there is because you could pay them less and as soon as they start making more you can just fucking fire them for whatever reason you want tenure is important to ensure that teachers can do what they need to do without interference from the administration it's super important it doesn't mean you can't fire them if they dance naked on the desk they'll get fired yeah uh, it's um, guys, I don't, if you're, if you're against tenure, then you've never been a teacher and you don't know what it's like to not have to do anything wrong. And still get fired at the end of the and year. And just be yeah. given a handshake and said, thank you for your mm-hmm. time. You don't know what that's like. And it's if you terrible. do, and if you think that's okay. Yeah. I don't know. I but we're supposed to be like... What kind of job like, security are you looking for? I don't know. We're supposed to be like, yay, Will, sticking it to the man. I'm like, no, sorry, that only benefits the man. The reason teachers get tenure is because they have other teachers sticking up for them, working in unions and things like that, speaking up for them against the man. So, like, bad take, dude, bad take. <laughs> but anyway, he is the sort of investigative journalist, and so he is going to be looking into the skulls, and we do find out later that he is the one that's watching... Luke here. That's Joshua Jackson's character's name. So he drinks this drink. 
has a skull printed on the bottom of it. And he trips the fuck out. And he wakes up in a coffin along with a bunch of other new recruits. Yeah. Okay, this, the amount of space that the skulls have is yeah. infinite. They walk by the building at one point that they know belongs to the to the skulls. And it's like, oh, that's a very fancy building. And it's obviously rich people live there, whatever. But it's also a series of underground tunnels and mechanisms and dungeons and things like that. It sprawls. It has to sprawl across the entire length of the campus. It, yeah, it would have to be massive. And, like, they never really show them, like, doing long walks in between <laughs> the spaces. But, like, when they wake up, they are all individually. And there's got to be, like, what, 12 of them? Yeah, there's a bunch Which of also, them. Which also, I'm like... They say there's only 322 members in the world. And I'm like, right. but you do so many every year. Well, the 322 is supposed to be a reference to the Skull and Bones. Apparently, that's like a number that they use. Okay, that's fine. But yeah, no, but the so math make doesn't it, check out. Yeah, make yeah. it less people. And it's so unimportant that there are so many people. Like, it's really unimportant. Yeah, we're not going to learn about any other characters. Not a single fucking one except for his blood brother, Caleb. Yes. Caleb Mandrake. But so they, Come on, his name is Caleb Mandrake. Are you kidding me? So This they, is some fan fiction bullshit. They wake up in fucking coffins, each on an individual platform, water in between every single yeah. one. I love the melodrama. It's I love very, how ridiculous you, this is. If you're each gonna, one has its own spotlight. Yep. That's great. It's ridiculously great. If you're gonna enjoy this movie, you have to just say fuck it and just sit back and let the melodrama wash over you. The the bad cliches just be like, yes, give it to me. And if you do, you might end up liking this movie. But you have to understand that it is a terrible movie. <laughs> Paul Walker is going to open his up all dramatically. Everyone's going to be around him. because Yeah, and he, he's the funny guy. He's the loud mouth. Where can I get some more of that? Or whatever it is he says. Mm -hmm. Wow! Hey, Caleb. Where can I get some more of that shit? <laughs> so they are told that they have to go and to prove themselves. Okay, to prove themselves, they have to steal the mascot of their rival. And they say it's at this particular building. It only takes two people. Why do all the others I get mean, into the group? Theoretically. They did nothing. Theoretically, it could only take one. The yes. challenge is dumb. The challenge so is So what really they dumb. need to figure out. So first they break into this room. Uh, there's a building that's just on an island. And they need to jump over the water to get there. And only two people are willing to do the jump. It's a moat with no drawbridge. And I'm like, how far would it take? Like, you'd swim for two seconds and right. you'd be across this moat. Just I'm like so step confused. in and walk across. Like, yeah. But anyway, they, only the two of them can fit. Paul Walker is the first to go, but then he can't get in because the door's locked. So Luke goes in after him, Joshua Jackson. And it's it's the his misspent youth or whatever. Locks are my specialty, of which definitely... Of can pick any lock. Definitely reminded me of... Uh, never-ending story. It's my speciality. Yes. <laughs> it's locked. Excuse me, gentlemen. It is my scientific speciality. It's locks my just happen to be my speciality. speciality. Where in the world did you learn how to do that? The skills of a misspent youth. Used to be a genuine menace to society. 
Oh, I'm the poor kid, so I know how to pick locks. Well, he had the bad seed friends, which are going to be important. They are, kind of. You get zero development on the friends, but they are going to be important later. And then um, they realize there's nothing inside. And so they rethink about the, the clue, and they were told the location, and they said it was at the building, not in the building. And they realize that the clue phrase that they were given... A snake without scales shows its veins means it's the weather vein on top of the building that is a snake. So they climb up to the top of the building uh, through the ladder inside, and then they get on the outside and up on the roof, and they're just ripping off this weather vein and not being careful at all. So, of course, when it finally comes loose, they all fall. They go into the moat. Around here, that he says, You are a menace to society. Yes, uh huh. You are a menace to society. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> like one of those things I where it's love like. Paul Walker. Chris is wrong. He just consistently looks like he's going to make out with his best friend, male leads, just like all the time. I think he just always looks happy and amused. He is. Which is what his character is supposed to be. I'm telling you, as a human, he's great. As an actor, he is terrible. I would argue his character shouldn't be like that. Well, whatever. They get back, and he's all wet, and his friend is like, we were going to eat tofu pizza together, and then you left. And I'm like, why did we include that it was tofu yeah, pizza? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it's just, it's just trying to make these people out to be like these liberal great people. And it's just like... She is a rich girl who gets yeah. to be an, an artist because she's rich. He is, like you said, actually working for the man without realizing it. Like, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. But anyway, he, like, attacks his friend for joining them, for leaving them. And Remember, it's like, this, this is, is the only thing he's ever wanted. Yeah. It's what he needs to do the thing he dreams of. Because like, he'll never be able to afford grad I guess school. Hill Harper just wasn't paying attention. That was just for the audience to I hear. I guess. And so it's a little obnoxious where it's like, oh, here's the contrived conflict with the best friend because we need it. But, like, I understand why there is the disagreement. I just think it is very poorly executed. They're going to need to set this up because he is going to do his expose and he's going to be more entitled, more interested in doing it now that his friend is involved. Yeah. He ends up getting a call from Caleb. uh, I think it's the next morning to... Tell him, look under your pillow. There's uh, basically the invite from the skulls. While he's there, we get to see Caleb's girlfriend for the first and one of only times in the entire fucking movie, I think. I don't know that she was his girlfriend. It was just a girl he was hit with. Well, The idea being that he sleeps with a lot of women. Maybe, but that girl is Malin Ackerman, is the reason I bring it up. And it's her first movie. Who's that? We just saw her in Final Girls. She's the mom in Final Girls. Oh, really? That's yeah, her? Uh-huh. In that one scene? Yes. Huh. So then they get the initiation part done with. The initiation part actually takes a while. Because, like, through the end of the movie, it's not until the end of the movie that it's, like, you're officially, you're members of the Skulls. I don't think so. I think that it's, that this next scene is what kind of solidifies that he's part of it. Right. He's been selected, but I don't think they officially join until way later. Like, it's this is the ceremony where... So they get... Go ahead. Tell what happens in this part of the initiation. 
He's going to get a branding on his arm, which they're going to cover with a watch. Yep. And I'm just like, I think that would hurt. I think that would be great evidence that you're in a secret society later when you say that you are and no one believes you. Yeah, that's You have true. a fucking branding on your arm that people in very large positions of power also have. They are told by this senator that's part of the group who is a soulmate with Caleb's father, which I'll explain soulmates in just a second. Mm -hmm. They explain, we live by the rules, we die by the rules. Our rules supersede the rules of the outside world. That's what you will find when you join the skulls. And so they all have a soulmate. It's supposed to be the person that you take care of and they take care of you for the rest of your life. And of course, Joshua Jackson is going to be paired with Paul Walker. They were the ones that actually completed the challenge. And of course, Caleb is probably the biggest, most popular prospect being the son of an existing member and the leader of the Skulls. Uh, That is Craig T. Nelson, by the way, coach, the dad from Poltergeist, you know. So of course, he's going to be paired up with the biggest, like, natural prospect. The one who actually accomplishes things on his own and doesn't just have connections. So, of course, they're paired off together. They can help each other each way. Uh Uh-huh. The senator, Ames Leverett, is played by William Peterson, who is the the main guy from CSI, at least the original main guy from CSI. Also, I think he's juror number 11 or 12 in the Showtime version of 12 Angry Men. We used to say, oh, put it out on the porch and see if the cat licks it up. I haven't put much thought into it, but uh, let me throw it out on the stoop. We'll see if the cat licks it up. What do you say? Yeah, the cat licks it up. Yeah, it's an expression. Run up the flagpole and see who salutes. (laughs) He's an ad man. Well, here's an idea. Let's run it up the flagpole, see if anyone sings the national anthem. Or uh, here's an idea. Let's put it on the bus, see if it gets off at Wall Street. (laughs) I mean, it's idiotic, really, but it's funny. Anyway... Another thing they get at their initiation is a copy of the rule book. This is when Kelsey mentioned, uh, we live by the rules, we die by the rules. We live by the rules, we die by the rules. The rules are very, very important, and they're going to be stressing that the rules are very, very important for the rest of the movie. And they also get a key, which literally lets them into their secret headquarters. But it's a big old fancy key. Old-timey, giant key. (laughs) Yes, which... Joshua Jackson keeps around his neck, but Caleb keeps in his center uh, console in his car. And they all get these brand new fancy cars. Each one gets a different car that's that's tailored to their needs, and he gets the muscle car. A 63 T-Bird convertible, dual exhaust, four-barrel carb, and fully restored original red leather interior. Everyone else gets these, like, fancy sports cars, but he gets the muscle car because he's different than the than these other guys. <laughs> he's not pretentious. At one point around here, he talks to Chloe, and we get introduced to Chloe's thesis, her graduate thesis, which is an art project where she's built a computer program to randomly create art a la Jackson Pollock. And she talks about how the pure randomness of the computer. Actually, I mean, pure randomness is really what forms the computer's creation. Whoop, stop right there. There's no such fucking thing. Computers are incapable of being random. So just for your thesis uses. (laughs) This 
only serves one single purpose. Later on, it just kind of scares somebody. <laughs> it makes them think that she's in the wrong room. Or yeah, something. Uh-huh. that's it. But he takes her out, and it's like, oh, they're going out on a date. Are they a couple? And then, well, I guess if we're going to go somewhere fancy, I should pull out cash. And he goes to the ATM, and he realizes he has $20,000 in his account. Oh, God, they gave him $20,000. Mm-hmm. And that's when she realizes that he is a skull. You are a skull. And that's when we go to see his the, the party that they go to. Yeah. And Caleb's father is going to invite him to Thanksgiving, and he's going to say, we always hunt and we only eat what we catch, and don't you worry, because Caleb is a crack shot. But not to worry. Caleb is a superb shot. Which will be important one time only. Like, it's not like, okay, we, we talked about in our prey conversation how they set something up, and then they deliver on it later. This isn't that. This is them just telling you a thing. He's a crack shot, and then later it's going to be important to know that he's a crack shot. But it's not really important. You could have gone without saying that, and it would have played out exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And we would not have been confused whatsoever. The dumb waiter should have been taken out entirely. Mm-hmm. The uh, Jackson Pollock computer, and completely unnecessary. So, mm-hmm. like, when they're doing it, the, it doesn't the, that's the add to anything. That's we see that she's really down to earth, and she's got her Well, brains. she's actually talented. She's not just rich. Yeah. Like, they really, God, the cliches are all over the place. So, yes, they go to this party where basically they get introduced to all the alumni of the Skulls. And he gets to meet and talk to the senator for the first time. There's some major tension between Caleb and his father. Where Caleb just says in front of everyone that his arms are tired because his dad keeps throwing him into the deep end and then he excuses himself for a drink. Uh huh. We also learn that there's tension between Caleb's dad and his soulmate, the senator. So basically, you know, Caleb's dad is the common denominator here. He's kind of an asshole. Yes. I, I will say it's the one interesting aspect of all of this is that the soulmates conflict they bump against each other in both generations uh, to an extent and that drives a lot of the like mysterious what's actually going on whose motivations are what that's driven by this sense that there's something off between these two men something's wrong here basically what's wrong is that Craig T. Nelson wants to be a Supreme Court justice and he wants to be a federal judge and he also sort of like took over the skulls semi hostily, right? And the senator, the one who's like doing the best for himself out of all the skulls, he thinks he should run the organization. And that's where the to, conflict is. He wants to make use their power for good, but it's like fight, later you're going to find out that he's into 19 year olds. Like, okay, yeah, uh-huh. that's weird. Yeah, totally. And then they bring out the girls. They just open a door and all these pretty girls walk in. To Creed's higher. We haven't been talking about the we soundtrack. We have not been talking about the soundtrack. It is 
terrible. It is incredibly 90s soundtrack. And it is, there is so bad. We, we missed the first song that they played. I did. I don't think I wrote down what it was, but it was a I very 90s I do talk about song. the last song. There's a, yeah. There's, there's, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but this one is especially ridiculous because Creed is so- singing about God. He is. Yeah. And it's a, it's this Scott is a part about women yeah. coming out and you're pretty certain these are sex workers. Well, no, they're just opportunistic ladies who probably at uh, from another sorority or something like that, that they're that they've promised gifts. They've probably paid them to be there, but they're not necessarily I would say I see she's making the face. (laughs) I would say it's more like they're escorts. It's not like they're it's not like they exist like they're not sex workers by trade. They're just other students, I guess. I guess they're escorts is the right word. But but for the night, you know what I mean? Like, not like, yes, for the night. <laughs> I mean, like, they're not going to do this for anybody else. They're, tomorrow, they're not going to be doing it at a different party or whatever. Like, that's not what it's about. They didn't hire sex workers. What they did is they turned students into sex workers. That's different, I would say. <laughs> But we don't know there's any sex. It's just they dance with them. Caleb leaves with two women. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But we're supposed to think that this is amazing and cool. Like the way it's framed. Can Joshua you Jackson. Take me higher. As he's dancing with her. No one else is dancing. Yeah, he's dancing with some rando who we will never see again. Nope. And are we supposed to feel good about this? Aren't we supposed to support him and Leslie Bibb? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? I don't know. It's not even framed as like a, oh, he's sort of turning into a bad guy. Because remember, this will never come up again. Nope. But, as we said, Joshua Jackson's friend, Hill Harper, is looking into all the Skull stuff and decides to break into Caleb's car. Yeah. And get his key and his rule book and expects that to be okay. Like, when he's attacked by uh, Caleb later... He, like, expects to get away. Like, he yeah. takes the picture and runs away uh-huh. and says, I'm not going to give you your shit back. And I'm like, like... I know who you are. Like, you stole shit. You could go to jail yeah. for what you've done, dude. Right, but they don't want to expose the secret. Right, That's what he's I understand, counting on. But, like, you're in the wrong here. Right. And, like, they know who you are. Do you think they don't know who you are? It's a weird thing. You think they don't have cameras in there? They do. We see them. We're going to get the same line three times. <laughs> I want the key. I want your camera. And I want my stuff back now. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what the line is, but he yeah. says it three times in the movie. You. <sighs> Caleb Magic. You broke into my car. You stole my key. You stole my book. Now I want your camera. I want the tape. And I want my stuff back now. Then I went to the ritual room and he was photographing everything. You broke into my car. You stole my key. You stole I tried my to book. stop him. Now I want your camera. I want the tape, and I want my stuff back now. You stole my key. You stole my book. I want your camera. I want the tape, and I want my stuff back now. Basically, it's Caleb who confronts him as he's like try. He's going to be doing an expose on the skulls, and so he's investigating. Oh, the the walls are made out of such and such marble, and it says war, which they never re- like. They try to explain why it says war on the wall, but they do a piss poor it's job of so it. It's so stupid. It's just so that later Joshua Jackson can say, I'm going to bring war to the skulls. Yeah. Which uh-huh. is even in, in and of itself a throwaway line. Exactly. 
But so he's describing everything into his recorder, and that's when Caleb shows up. And basically, he's trying to do a good thing because, because it's selfish. He fucked up. He got his rule book and his key stolen. That's a bad thing. And of course, he doesn't want his dad figuring out about that. So the best thing to do is to tell Will, you give me the key, you give me the book, you give me the film in your camera and the tape in your recorder, and... You walk out of here and we never talk about this again. We'll get the book later. No, you give me the key. We'll go get the book. You won't say anything to anybody. I won't say anything to anybody. Nothing will happen. And you believe him when he says that. Because he does mean it. Right, exactly. Uh, The problem is, like I said, Hill Harper's character has no intention of giving giving him any of this stuff. Also, he doesn't have the book on him anyway. Right. And so he's like, okay, well, you take me to the book right now and we'll get it together. You know, like, so he's going out of his way, Caleb is, to, like, be reasonable about this because he's trying to cover his own ass. Yeah, he does. Well, that, but also he doesn't want to, he. Right. He doesn't want to hurt Will. Mm -hmm. And so, and, like, you really do genuinely believe that. We're not just making excuses for him. But Will, like, flashes his camera on him and then tries to run and he runs up the stairs when he should be running out of the building. (laughs) It's insulting. Yeah. (laughs) And so they struggle on top of this altar area that's elevated above the rest of the hall. And then he falls and breaks his neck. Right. And it's set up so that it's kind of Paul Walker's fault. Well, they're struggling, and Paul Walker tries to grab onto him. He has him by the shoe, but his foot slips out of the shoe. Right. Like he's trying to save him, and he he fails. If he had called the cops, there's no way that he would have been found. Guilty. Oh, here. Right. Yeah. Uh, they have um, camera footage. You can see that it's unintentional. Right. Like it's, The dude was antagonistic. Yeah. It, it. The only reason they don't want to do anything about it is because they don't want anybody to know about their... Secret shit. Secret stuff. But it's yeah. like, all you'd need to do is show them the video of what happened. Right. You, also, they don't need to see anything else. Can we talk about how it's going to be a key plot point later and an expected one that people in positions of power that deal with crimes are going to be on the dole for... The skulls. So, like, what are you worried about? You're going to rely on cops doing what you want later on in the story. Why can't you rely on them to do what you want right now? Yeah. Instead, it's easier to murder? Like, it's a weird choice. Well, we won't find out until later, but what actually happens here is he calls his dad. His dad says, do not call the cops. And Caleb's really upset about that, but he does it anyway because his dad tells him to. And then... The provost of the school shows up. That's Christopher McDonald. The Uh, dad from the faculty. Sorry, pal. No more flogging the bishop. The bad guy from Happy Gilmore. Mm -hmm. You're in big trouble, though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. (laughs) You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. For those of you that don't know, because we don't really use the term a whole hell of a lot here in uh, America... But, of course, at Ivy League schools, they do all this fancy shit. Uh, The provost is basically the person that the deans report to. So the deans are the heads of the individual, like, colleges. And they all report up to the provost. He is, like, the main head guy. So he shows up. They get rid of Caleb. So Caleb's gone. But they find out that Will is still alive. And Christopher McDonald, Lombard is his name, Calls up Craig T. Nelson is like, ah, he's still alive, but he's in a bad way. What should I do? He's like, okay. And he reaches down and he snaps his neck and actually kills him. We don't see that until later. We don't see that later. Yeah. uh 
immediately he's going to go to Joshua Jackson because he knows that Joshua Jackson was his friend. And when he runs into him, there's going to be this weird moment where we're going to find out that Paul Walker and Leslie Bibb they dated? dated? It is so weird and unnecessary. That? They're like, he's she, like. Her knowing about him is completely unnecessary. He's like, did we date? And she goes, oh, you must have found it as forgetful as I did. And that's all they're going to say. Yeah. Uh-huh. But so anyway, yes, they find him strung up in his room. They make it look like Will it's killed a himself. Yeah. And so the cops do show up. And this is where we meet Steve Harris's character, Detective Sparrow. And here's the thing about him, man. I recognize how hackneyed the character of Detective Sparrow is. But Steve Harris is and always will be intimidating. He has always been intimidating. When he was in the practice, he was just so intense. And like, if you look him up, you'll know who I'm talking about. I don't care that his character sucks for the most part. He is still a very intimidating presence. And if he was the cop and he was questioning me the way he questions Joshua Jackson, I'd probably be pissing myself. <laughs> He's a very intimidating guy. Oh, I also wrote down here, hey, man, dead man on campus rules. <laughs> <laughs> you just get all A's for the rest of the season, right? <laughs> uh, we also find out that they didn't get the book back. Right, because the book was still, he didn't have it with him. Right. So and the so the book is at his... Dorm, which, remember, he shares with Joshua Jackson. Right, but, like, I, I, at the time, we didn't know what actually happened to him. We just knew that they killed him. Because it cut from the struggle, I think, to he's dead in his in his dorm room. And I wrote down, why would they kill him before they got the book back? Like, it's just sloppy work. Yes. Uh, and then we find out that they actually killed him way back when, because they would have had to take him to the hospital otherwise. I'm just saying there's a big gap in the storytelling as we're at this point in the movie, so we'd know nothing about it. And then you find out later that, well, it's not like he was going to walk them over to his <laughs> dorm, because he's he's basically a vegetable at that point. Yeah, we, we find out that, that they went out together, and it, it's totally pointless. But obviously Joshua Jackson is devastated. His best friend is dead. The cop is like, wait a minute, you had an argument? Before he died. Oh, that's interesting. And Joshua Jackson's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm Minute and Bitta. I know what you're trying to do here. And the provost shows up before we know he's a bad guy. And is like, do we really need to question them later? Keep in mind, this is the detective and the provost are both working for the skulls in this interaction. Yes. Which is a little, are they putting on a performance? I don't know. It's a little weird. Okay, so... Joshua Jackson believes at this point that it's possible that his soulmate has killed his best friend. At this point, he doesn't know what happened. Right. Okay. Chloe asks him about this, and he says he doesn't know. And she's like, you're a liar. Fuck you and leaves. Uh -huh. Okay. So he goes to the next event for the Skulls. And of course, it's this whole new realm that they have. Yeah, right, where they have a cage. Which that goes even goes deeper into the, into the ground. And it's nonsensical because the <laughs> idea is that soulmates get in the cage and there's a cage, there's like a gate in between them. And then it, they are cranked down, they're lowered down into this pit where any of their brothers can ask them any question and you must answer, answer honestly. But no, also, only the soulmates can ask the questions. You say that, 
but that is not clear in the rules, and the very first question that's asked is asked by one of the brothers. Hey, Luke, what's your worst fear? So after that first question, it's just the two of them face-to-face. The camera doesn't even show us. They don't even reference the fact that there are a bunch of other people listening to this conversation. Right. Right. Just not, it's just the movie forgets that they're there. They think you're going to get so wrapped up in this interpersonal drama. That they call liar's hell. Liar's by hell. By the way. Why, like, there's no punishment. If you're lying, they wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I never understand, like, oh, you must tell the truth. No one will ever know if you didn't. Right. But we have seen, I mean, you've seen documentary after documentary about cults. We've seen TV shows where they've done this, where in order to get into something, you need to reveal some great secret or something like that. They do talk about how the skulls keep... Uh, copious notes as to every bad thing anyone's ever done. You're absolutely right. That is exactly straight out of What's-His-Name's book. Motherfucker. Nexium, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's um, Scientology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Cults, man! <laughs> How do people join cults? You just don't get it, Kelsey. I don't understand. Anyway... They get lowered into the cage, and Joshua Jackson asks Caleb, what's the, what's your biggest regret, or whatever, the worst thing you've ever done? And he just immediately, no hesitation, other than the fact that Joshua Jackson has to, like, ask him repeatedly, but he does because he doesn't get the answer he wants, so he continues to ask him. He just immediately says something to the effect of, my dad runs my life and I hate it. Well, that's... That's I let the my second dad run thing my he life. says. The first thing he <laughs> says is he had an affair with his mom's best friend. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. what? I want to know that story. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these guys had affairs with their mom's friend. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just the type of characters these guys are painted as. But then, yes, he says, I never take responsibility for anything. My father handles everything. Because he thinks, like, that's what he's getting at. But, I mean, that kind of speaks towards Will's death. Yes, because remember, he thinks, well, we already said this, but he thinks he did it accidentally. So, like, is it weird that that's not the biggest thing he regrets? Right. Maybe. And that he doesn't realize that that's what Luke is getting. Not Luke, but... uh, But maybe it's just that he doesn't want to admit it in front of everybody. (laughs) Because everybody can hear right now. Because he tells him immediately after this, in the next scene, they, like, pull them out. They stop Uh them. Probably before he can tell them. No, it's just like time skip. I'm pretty no, I'm pretty sure his father steps in or whatever. But anyway, they're immediately in a room together. And Uh someone is with them. Maybe it's the senator. I don't remember. But he tells him his story. And again, I love how many times we hear the line, I want my book, I want my key, and I want your your camera. Like, I just love, we hear it so many times, and Chris hates Paul Walker, and I don't. <laughs> but well, like, they have a whole conversation about it. It's Paul Walker, his dad, Craig T. Nelson, and Joshua Jackson are all in a room together so they can explain to Luke what happened exactly. And they do explain that it was an accident. And both Chris and I agreed. If that's exactly how it went down, I don't know that Caleb deserves to go to jail. Right. Now, there are people that are really like, it's the law. You got to go to jail for some time for manslaughter or whatever. Mm. And I'm like, 
Not if it's a total accident. I don't and, know what the laws in this unnamed state well, you are. You didn't do... You weren't, like, intoxicated or anything, and he is the one who broke in. Yeah, it's Castle Doctrine, man. It's your property. He broke in. You got into a scuffle when you tried to get him out, and he died as a result of that scuffle. That's not your responsibility. He shouldn't have been on your property. That's what, like, the Castle Doctrine says. But I don't know if this state has a Castle Doctrine law. Well, this is when they tell... Joshua Jackson that his entire ride to law school has been covered no matter what school he goes to. Yeah, that's like, to, they're paying him off. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I don't know what law school I'm going to. And Craig T. Nelson is like, how about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Imagine that is what he says. He says, imagine that. <laughs> this is your pre-acceptance to the law school of your choice. I haven't even applied to law school yet. Imagine that. Yeah, so basically he can get into any law yeah, school uh-huh. he wants. Uh, and this is when he decides he's going to... Oh, yeah, Senator is not there because he calls the Senator yeah. to meet with him. Uh, but he decides that he's going to use his, his ex-friends from yes. high school. They need to do this whole thing where they're, they know that there's security footage because he knows there are cameras in there. And they need to get the security footage. And it's... Stored in the library in a secret room, you press a book and it reveals a room. It's so obnoxious. And there's this big guy. But that, it's melodrama, man. Uh-huh. They go. They it takes them several times to figure out exactly what's going wrong, going on, and where they take these videotapes so they can find it. Uh, and it, his buddies help them out uh, by hiding. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I know it is. There's I a, just love all. I love how melodramatic and yet how masculine this film is. <laughs> I I think it's wonderful. <laughs> like there's the girlfriend, not the girlfriend and not Leslie Bibb, but the, of the of his childhood friends, there's the girl who's outside and she's like, I see him. He's coming out the door or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Joshua Jackson rushes there. He has to get there right now. And then he, that girl is nowhere to be found. There's literally like a, a screech in the in the phone. Yeah. And that starts the music up. And then he's running. And, it's nonsense. And the it's audience. Gibberish. Yes. The audience is being led to believe that there's some some sort of reason that he needs to run, but there was none. Yeah. The girl was following was on him. top of it. It was fine, but then the screech s- sound just starts the, the movie up, and it's yeah. like, whoa, that's an insult to the audience. There are a lot of these moments where they just like, oh, this is the action scene, and this is the intense music, and it's just so out of place. But hey, it worked on my, what was this, 2000? So I was what, 8, 9, 10? I was 13? like 12 when yeah. it came out, probably, uh-huh. maybe 13. It worked on that brain, because all I remember from this is action, and, you know, you, are they going to get him? Yeah, the, the well, paranoid. you hadn't watched enough movie to understand the tropes yeah. and recognize them. But he ends up jumping this big guy when he goes in and knocking him down, and then he's looking for the tape, and then they get into a scuffle, and he tases the dude in the balls... With a taser that came out of nowhere, like Chekhov's taser. We need to see it first. It's just he apparently had one. Okay. Even if it came from the guard, like we never saw that the guard had it. So what? Anyway. They're the bad seeds. They have all the tools. Yeah. Caleb is going to come to his room and he's going to like, I like find the bugs. And he's just like. They know everything we do. None of us are safe. Yeah. Again, building up tension when there really isn't a lot of tension. So I wrote down somewhere here. Oh, yeah, here it is. I like it in concept. 
It's the firm junior. <laughs> but it is so poorly executed. Like it is. It's like it's like baby's first thriller. Very, very much what it is. Probably and so why I liked it. But I mean, imagine taking a novel and making it a children's book. All the shit that you're gonna have to take out to make it flow like a children's story needs to flow, and you're gonna lose key details. Such as all the stuff that we're talking about. Like, why is it all of a sudden that we're in a tense moment? What precipitated that? Like, nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's because they just need to hit the major beats and then they lose everything else in the middle of that. So the senator, they're going to find out that the senator has met with him and stuff. And so Craig T. Nelson is going to approach him. And be like, what do you think you're doing, man? And he's going to be like, I've realized there are limits. Oh, yeah. They try to have a vote to kick Luke out of the skulls. And he's the only one who votes no. And so then he just shows him, hey, I have pictures of you with a 19-year-old girl. Vote yes now. (laughs) It's like, well, then why not just lie and say that he voted yet? Like, why do you need to go through any of this if you're just going to do something illegal anyway? Like, it's a, it, it, I imagine it's against the rules to intimidate Saving a member. face in front of the rest of I the members. I guess, yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's like in that moment, it's like, oh, so none, no one's a good person. That's right. cool. Why does the provost attack him in the streets? What does he do? He does something, and then he runs through the streets, and he gets chased by a car. Oh, that's the chase scene after um, after they get the the tapes, right? Oh yeah, and so they they beat up the pro the provost, yeah, and like all of his friends are there, and Leslie Bibb is the one driving the car. Did we mention that they're oh, in love now? Oh no, that's that's way later. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. we, they haven't had their sex scene yet, right? Uh huh. Okay, so yes, he's already gone to Leslie Bibb and has admitted that he was wrong and all that stuff. And it's really lame the way he says oh, it's it. So lame. So I have this friend, and he made all the wrong decisions, oh, so and all dumb. they brought him was disaster. I have a friend, and he's made some decisions, but it turns out that they were all wrong. Why? Why were they wrong? Because he was selfish, and because he was greedy, and he thought that they would give him everything that he ever wanted. But all that they ended up giving him was disaster. So now, this friend of mine, he can go out on a limb. And that limb could get cut off, but everything about being on that limb is right. So what do I do? They turn the music up really loud and turn the shower on so they can speak without being picked up by the bugs. But now the room is steaming up. Well, but after they have that conversation, they'll do this big fake breakup scene. Yeah. Even though they weren't even actually dating yet. Right. uh, To make everyone think that they're not together anymore. That was a pretty good scene. And Caleb is like, you made the right decision. (laughs) Which is why uh, they think they're not going to, well, they think they're going to stop watching her. And so he goes in to get all the bugs out of her room. But he does go into her room to they think they're not watching him? I know, exactly. I uh, So anyway, they fuck in the shower. Cause, yeah. Because she so, says she loves him. Exactly. It's like, I love you. What? Sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, then she helps them go and get the tapes. Yeah. That's when they find out he was still alive. It's yeah. a pretty gnarly scene. He but I want to say, when they're trying snapped. to get away, the provost is there and trying to stop them with some other heavy from the family or whatever. I don't know if it's there somewhere, whatever reason they're getting chased by them and they run into an alley and then all the friends hop out and just beat the shit out of them. And then they take the club. 
So people that are old enough to know what the club is, they take the club and they put it on the steering wheel of their car, the bad guy's car, which is just fucking ingenious (laughs) when you know you're going to be chased to put the club on their car. And now they can't steer the damn vehicle. (laughs) It's basically just a big stick that attaches to your steering wheel. And now you can't turn it. So what good would stealing the car be if you can't get it anywhere? Mm-hmm. So it's it's fucking genius. I loved that moment. <laughs> but Leslie Bibb was the one driving the getaway car. Yes, she was. Here's a question, Kelsey. Yeah. You have this tape. You're at your friend's place with all these TVs. They obviously have an electronic setup. They have something that can play that tape. They don't make a copy of it? Right. Are you fucking kidding me? That's very strange. He just goes right to the police... Who are working for the senator and he doesn't know it. Uh, and they put in a fake tape and it's all snow. It's all static. And so he looks crazy. Now, that's what Craig T. Nelson originally wanted is to get him taken to the mental facility that they operate. And so that's what's going to happen this time. And we get another, like, really intense scene. Oh, you they- work for them? It's the truth. You're working for It's ridiculous. You're working for him. Listen, please. You hey. gotta, please. You got to believe me. Listen. He's in on it, okay? I'm innocent here. I'm telling you hey. the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. You son of a bitch! Could you do this to me, Sparrow? Get off me! What do they got on you, Sparrow, huh? Get him out of here! What do they got on you, Sparrow, huh? How'd they get to you? Listen to me, I'm innocent! I'm innocent! Lots of yelling. Lots right. of Joshua Jackson yelling and trying to get away and uh-huh. looking like a crazy person. Looking like person. a crazy person, right. So, of course. And just obnoxiously so. I think oh, these are all trailer shots. Yeah. When Paul Walker yells... None of us are safe! When he says, I'm innocent! They're working for him! Like, these are all trailer yeah, shots. Yeah, totally. And that's why they're building up all this tension, because there's but it's not a lot of tension not there. in the yeah. film, uh-huh. but they want that for the trailer to make uh-huh. it look exciting to get people to see the movie. You're exactly right, Kelsey. That's exactly right. So anyway, he does get taken to this mental facility and put on drugs, but Leslie Bibb... Immediately gets the senator to help her get him out. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'll help you. I'll take you to see him. And then, like, get him out. And it's like, what, Senator, what the fuck do you think is going to happen to you? Your secret society runs that place. They know that you're going to show up. and Like, they'll know what have ha- what happened after that's done. But everyone acts like it didn't happen. Just like he has the authority to do it, and they just don't even think about the fact that, that in real life there would be repercussions to that. Well, because he's second in command, so he's going to get Craig T. Nelson right. out of the way. Right, yeah, maybe, like, eventually, but what if that doesn't happen? What What's going to happen immediately when the people that work there are like, uh, didn't you want us to keep this guy here? Uh, the senator showed up and took him out of here. He tells her, we live by the rules, we die by the rules. That's all I can tell you. And so they drive away, and... They get chased by the provost again, who runs them off the road. Out in the middle of the day, in the middle of the fucking university. Like, there's nobody walking around. She's running from the provost on campus. Maybe he shouldn't be the one in the car. Like, I understand he's the one who killed the guy, but still. (laughs) Get somebody else to do that. Yeah, it's... It's absolutely ridiculous. But they needed Uh, this real tense moment She uses the dumbwaiter to escape in this scene. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, 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 you're right. They're in the car. They're running away from them. They run them off the road. They get to a train track that has an a, an end, like it's a closed train track, and they ha- they're forced to stop, and they get attacked by the provost and the other guy. 
They take the other dude out. If he's even there, it might just be the provost. I don't know. I think we're mixing up all these we are, chase but it's, scenes. There's it's, a lot of chase scenes. It's kind <laughs> of unimportant right here. But what's, what is important is that the provost is just going to shoot them right there. He says not a single word. He just takes out his gun. And right as he's about to shoot them, Steve Harris, Detective Sparrow, unloads into the provost and says, I've been following you since the hospital. That's what the senator wanted. I don't understand. The senator has great faith that if you think it through, you'll figure it out. Sen- you work for Senator Leverett? Just get in the Jeep and get out of here. Did you see who was on that tape? Don't ask me questions. I've given you answers. <laughs> so yes, I do work for the Skulls, but specifically I work for the senator. And he's on your side. So they're like, here's the book. This, by the way, is... Caleb's copy of the rules, which meant he took them from the precinct, gives it to him and says, we live by the rules, we die by the rules. (laughs) Figure it the fuck out. (laughs) And they go off and stay in a motel. Now, how the detective is going to explain the fact that he just shot dead the provost without explaining the circumstances surrounding it, who the fuck knows? Don't know. It never comes up. Mm -mm. So they go to the motel to stay so they can't be tracked. And they're looking through the book, trying to find what it can be. And like, oh, it's rule 119 or whatever. Whenever there's a conflict between two brothers, it could be handled in a gentlemanly fashion or whatever it is that they say. A duel. Yeah. What they mean is so many duels. a duel. Yeah. So he decides. It's gonna be a showdown. Yes. <laughs> yep. Did you notice that? I, I put did that notice in the last that. You, one? I did, yeah. <laughs> so he's going to challenge them to a duel, and he says, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to bring war to the skulls, or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. I bring war to the skulls. So tomorrow, I bring war to the skulls. And there's this fucking music. Did, at some point, Leslie Bibb tells Caleb that. He wasn't dead. She confronts him in the gym and is like, tell the truth. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And as she goes to leave, she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, when you left, he wasn't dead. Yeah. But, like, Caleb has no reason to believe anyone. Like, everyone could be lying to him. Right. But it does make him pause. Yes. While he's just covered in sweat, dressed full on for a boxing match. Yes, this bothered Chris a lot. And (laughs) just swinging... To nothing. Like, it's not even shadow boxing. He's just, like, practicing his swinging in an empty locker room. And she's, this is when she's trying to get away from them because they chase her here. She's running through the halls of this gym or whatever. And it's like, there's nobody there. There's no one there. I understand why he would be there alone. But why would he be there dressed for a boxing match that hasn't happened yet? And there's no one in the fucking building. What the fuck is going on? They just needed a moment, and they didn't care how they got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, he's going to bring war to the skulls. How does this happen, Kelsey? So he challenges Caleb to a duel, and the father tries to, to talk him out of it, and he's just like, nah, man, we're going to do this. Well, because the Joshua senator- Jackson expects Paul Walker to not do it. Yeah, okay, so what is his plan? So first of all, we should say- the senator tells Craig T. Nelson, you can't take the place of your son in this duel. Like, by the way, the rule says there is going to be a duel. Also, you can't take your son's place because you cannot interfere with a family member's business. So 
sorry uh, why that didn't stop him from participating in covering up the murder. I don't know why, but <laughs> whatever. So what is Joshua Jackson's actual plan? What would you say he thinks is going to happen? They're going to have a duel. He's Joshua not going to shoot him. expected Caleb to do the right thing. And what is the right thing? Well, I think that Joshua Jackson expects Paul Walker to just admit what happened and then like okay. put the gun down. I can understand that. So it's just a, a an opportunity to get him in front of everyone, confront him where they have to be allowed to do it and get him to admit it and then that's it. But meanwhile, what the fuck does Caleb admitting anything do? Caleb was not involved with the actual murder that Luke knows took place. The active, purposeful murder of his friend. And this is going to bring war to the Skulls by getting one member who's not even responsible for the death to admit to it. That's bringing war to the Skulls? Yeah, I'm confused. You're right. The logic is very convoluted. I mean, you could maybe argue that if he gets him to admit it, then that'll force the father to admit what I really guess. happened. I and guess, then their maybe. corruption will crumble once That's the a, once the leader has been taken out. That plan is held together loosely. Yes. By a wish and a prayer. Yes. Like, they just really wanted this duel. <laughs> they wanted moments. this moment. They were looking for these melodramatic moments, like when he says he's oh, going God. to bring war. We're not there yet. Oh, God. I know. We're it's almost coming. there. We're almost there. Okay. So they go out. They do the duel. They get these ancient guns, these pistols, and they have a platform outside specifically designed to have a duel. I love it. I love it. It's measured out. They go to the end. They turn and they're supposed to shoot. Joshua Jackson drops the gun and throws up his hands. Do the right thing or whatever it is he's telling him. Caleb, what you did to Will Beckford was an accident. This will be murder, Caleb. Five. Are you ready to murder your friend? Six. Your soulmate? Seven. Just tell them the truth and this all ends right now. Nine. Ten. Tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth, please. Let's mention here that Caleb, when he gets his gun, asks his father, was Hill Harper dead? Right. Was Will dead? And he says, I have never lied to you. And no, he was not still alive. Dad, I have to ask you this one thing. Was Will Beckford still alive when I left the ritual room? Son, I love you. And I've never lied to you. The answer is no. Here's a question. If you think he might be lying to you, what good is his assurance that he's not lying to you? See, here's the thing. Caleb loves his father. Yeah. Despite the fact that they have a weird relationship. I think he just desperately wants his father to be a good person. Yeah. And he's, he's devastated that his dad is not a good person. Yet. And he hates that his father pushes him to also be a bad person. Exactly. I think you're right there. So anyway, they do the duel. He drops the gun, Joshua Jackson, puts his hands up, tells him to do the right thing. The fucking melodrama. He has his gun out and he's pointing it at him. And his dad is like, shoot her! <laughs> shoot him, Caleb! And Caleb says... Dad! <laughs> and they're 
such raw emotion behind that dad. It really is. It's, he's so conflicted. He loves his father. He wants to make his father proud. But oh he's God. so upset that his father's a bad person. Dad, what do I do? He hasn't learned how to make decisions for himself. Because his father has his always father taken everything. responsibility. Like, yeah, it's, oh my God, it is desperate until finally. This moment makes the film. It really, re okay, so up to this point, I'm like, Kelsey, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> this is a terrible movie. But all of this stuff that's happening in this end scene is so over the top <laughs> that it's like, it's kind of wonderful. It's a little joyous. Probably not in the way that the filmmakers intended. <laughs> but it is. And so Dad. he's so stressed out. And his dad's telling him to shoot Luke. And he's like, okay, that's obviously the wrong thing to do. <laughs> so he shoots his fucking dad. No, I think. His no, his dad goes, goes to, to grab to the gun. Josh. Yes, goes to grab another gun that they had out there. Yeah. And then he shoots his dad. In the, his, in the shoulder. And that's yeah. important because he's, he's a, a crack, crack shot. shot. He did not intend to kill his father. Just taking him out of the equation. He did not want his father to kill, to kill his and soulmate. And so when his dad <laughs> collapses and everyone surrounds him and there's like a doctor there. Somebody oh, here, a doctor? God. Wouldn't you know these are all your brothers? Shouldn't there be a there doctor? There is a doctor there. There's okay. a guy who's there. He's like, get my bag. <laughs> and they're all crowding around him. And dead. <laughs> and he looks at him and he says something like, You weren't worth the effort. You weren't worth the effort. You weren't worth the effort. And he's like, Oh, God. <laughs> This is this is Paul Walker this in the, the best, best acting. Paul Walker acting. It is the best acting he does probably ever. Just He's the look so of, sad. The look of disappointment and self-loathing is and then, so but there. But then finally he makes a decision and he he picks up the gun and he walks to the end of the dueling area specifically and then he raises the gun to his head. Where he's just like resolved, I'm going to kill myself. But Joshua Jackson is like, <laughs> no! And he runs the length of the dueling arena. Yeah. And tackles Paul him before Walker he can shoot sure himself. sure did take his time yeah. before shooting himself. He lifts his hand up in the air so it fires in the air or something like that. And he tackles him down and he saves him from killing himself. Holy shit. <laughs> so since this is all taking place on an isolated island... He goes to just leave, I guess. He's just walking out of the room, and the senator comes up to him and is like, you did a good thing, kid. <laughs> the, the, the judge's hopes of ever becoming a Supreme Court justice are dashed. I'm going to run the skulls now, you and me. You're going to help me You're bring help me. the skulls to the right side or whatever. Yeah, like the modern age. And, and Josh is like, no, you used me. Yeah, you used me. Why the fuck would I ever do that? And like, and so he just fucking leaves. But the, the senator's like, are you prepared to like basically be looking over your shoulder? What's going? I did you a favor here. I'm going to request a favor back. Like he's the fucking Joker or something. No, you mean the Godfather. No, I know, but there's an episode of Batman the Animated Series that's all about the Joker's favor. He he doesn't kill a guy, and in exchange, he asks him for a favor. Oh. And it's a great episode. But yes, I will ask you for a favor, and you'll either do something that you probably don't want to do or have to run 
and always be looking over your shoulder. Are you prepared to do that? Joshua Jackson is like, yeah, I am. And he just leaves and he gets in his little boat and he takes it across the lake or whatever to a lighthouse where Leslie Bibb is. And they just like fucking make out in front of the sunrise or sunset. sunset. But don't forget his line. What's the line he has? So Joshua Jackson leaves and the senator says, well done. Oh, oh my God. He just looks at him approvingly as he walks away, (laughs) sort of nods. Well done, son, or whatever it is. Well Well done. done. He says it twice. It's so good. It's like one of those, I love that son of a bitch. Yes. It's just so good. So good. There's no way they intended it to be that fucking hammy, but it is. (laughs) Well done, son. Well done. It is so good. This is what I mean when I say like 90% of this movie is just terrible. And then the last 10% is like, maybe this was worth it. (laughs) But again, like I cannot in good conscience recommend it to anybody. So anyway, yeah, he gets back. There's a fucking lighthouse and sunset and he kisses Leslie Bibb and fucking credits end of movie <laughs> yes dad <laughs> so good what is that what does that remind me of <laughs> phil bob <laughs> answer me phil bob oh please answer me Hello? Pardon? Who? I always, every year I forget how dark that movie is because all I remember is the joyous part. (laughs) And then we watch it. I'm always horrified by the horrific things that he does. We're talking about Black Christmas. It's one of our favorite horror movies. (laughs) Anyway. It's just like Cabin in the Woods. You forget how dark it can go Uh sometimes. (laughs) So, Kelsey. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. Yeah, okay, what is it? It's nine. The Skulls is full of nonsense and empty of good script and plot. It has a 24 on Metacritic and a B cinema score. Boom, baby! Fuck the critics, the people liked it okay. Yes, 9% is way underrated. Sure. Sure. But what would you give it? I'm gonna give it a 61. Oh, wow. Jesus. Oh, come on. No, I mean, I know you are on the side of liking it. I have a lot of nostalgia for this. This is going to be on our list. I had a thing for Joshua Jackson. This is certainly going to be on our list. It's funny, I never had a thing for Paul Walker. He's so dreamy. Oh, he's a very good looking (laughs) person. I just never got into it. Uh, I get so much delight by the end of the movie. But it was torture watching it. One of the best lines ever. And it's one word. That son of a bitch. That one, no, it's dead. Yes. But well done, son. Well, well done, done is pretty fucking great as well. <laughs> I hope that's the actual line and we're not going to get wrong. Okay. I will give it 
it has to be on the downside. It's so much fun. It has to be I on the downside, though. I don't know how you can't have fun watching Joshua Jackson <sighs> and Paul Walker, just these two gorgeous it did boys really, having really a redeem great itself time. by the end, but not in a good way. But again, these scores I are also personal. Love that his bad seed friends have like repelling gear at one oh, point yeah. to, to get the provost in the alleyway. That's his. Out of fucking nowhere, youth. and they just leave it there too. <laughs> what is, that's when they take off. What does Caleb do that he responds with? It's his misspent youth. He does something that Joshua Jackson couldn't do. He can do. do the bow tie. Oh right, he can tie the bow tie. Right, yeah, and that's kind of a a good line. They are so cute together. I love them together. I love them as soulmates. Kelsey, I'm going to give it a forty. I have to. If it wasn't for the ending, this would have been a 15. That's a lot of credit for that ending. It's a great ending. <sighs> Dad! Just how fucking nonsense it is. It is nonsense, and it is melodrama to the max. I love it. Just, like, surprisingly so. I love you. What? Sex. Sex. <laughs> In the shower. In the hot, steamy shower. Because they had the shower going because they the were bugs, making yeah, it loud. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I like that Hill Harper plays Will. Hill plays Will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That is 2000's The Skulls. Boom. Moving on to our modern film, 2020's Initiation, directed by John Berardo, written by John Berardo, Lindsay Levanchi, and Brian Frager, starring... Isabella Gomez, Lindsay Levanchi, Froy Gutierrez, Shireen Lai, and Lachlan Monroe. You'll notice that Lindsay Levanchi was mentioned twice there, both as an actress and a writer. That is Ellery, our main character. So, maybe that's why she does such a good job. Yeah, she does do a good job. (laughs) Kelsey, what is Initiation about? A young woman in college in a sorority whose brother is in her sorority's brother fraternity. I don't know how that stuff works, but I know it happens. Their fraternity, a lot of the guys are going to die and like they're involved in like some scandals where some girls were were probably raped and taken or taken advantage of in some way and it's a slasher, but it's and it is like told through the lens of a horror film, but yeah. it is much more just a drama about like how we handle rape cases in college. Yeah, it is it is fascinating with this plot. It kind of goes weird places. Some things don't go anywhere. In some cases, I think that might be kind of the point. Can you feel a certain way about a certain thing without knowing for sure what really happened? Like, is the question that it's asking you in some ways. The movie is available with ads on Roku for $4 to rent or $6 on Apple for some reason and $10 to buy. Kelsey, should people watch Initiation? I'm going to say no. Okay. Not like you shouldn't. Like if... If you knew somebody that wanted to watch it and they were going to put it on, like, I wouldn't say, like, get out of the room. It's a terrible movie. It's a decent film. It's just not a horror film, like, insofar as it is just, it is a message about rape rape in college Mm -hmm. and 
again, how we handle it. And, and how it affects it, everyone and around you. it has weird things to say about it. It really does. I, I think I agree. Not insofar as I would recommend you don't watch it, but as I, w- I wouldn't recommend that you do watch it. There is a lot that I really liked about this movie. In many ways, it is very well done. Yeah, it's a well done film. It is a drama going through the horror motions. And it gets confused with why it's doing what it's doing. And like like Chris said, there's just scenes that just like, why was that in the film? Yeah. And I mean, we'll we'll break it down. I don't know that we're going to have a whole hell of a lot to say about this, but you need to know that it is, in many cases, a beautiful movie, very well shot. It is in well many shot. cases, very well acted. It is, it is well acted. striking in many ways. I would say in a good way. But I just can't bring myself to recommend that you watch it. Mm-hmm. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2020's initiation. We've had some issues on campus. Fraternities. Calling out girls on social media after hooking up with them. It's a crude game. What do they post? An exclamation point. Happy first homecoming. Gotta raise the stakes, baby. Something happened last night. We have one victim and are still looking for a suspect. Bye. Everything has been taken care of. What does that mean? If this were to spiral out of control, it could hurt all of us. I have a really important question to ask you. What should my caption be? (laughs) All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does initiation begin? As I said, fraternities and sororities. So also there's going to be like this little montage of like social media stuff and like this exclamation point. And they're going to make this big deal about this exclamation point, And it's actually pretty small. So let's just get it out of the way now. Yeah, like it's in the description of the plot on IMDb. And it has, it disappears almost immediately. I feel like this movie had several rewrites. Yes. And yes, I yes, feel yes. like certain people like really advocated for certain things to be kept in the film. Uh-huh. Even though through all of the edits... Things got unimportant. I think you're probably right. I feel like there was a story to tell here about men. Uh, The whole thing is that they put an exclamation point under the picture of a girl that they have hooked up with so that the other brothers know not to hook up with her. The line is, tag the hose to protect the bros. Tag the hose to protect the bros. But the problem is, it's like, you're tagging women, but women aren't tagging you. Like, you aren't being... right. You aren't being blasted on social media. Exactly. (laughs) 
Exactly. And the thing is, is like, if the person puts the exclamation point, then you know they were the one that slept with them. It's like, wait, doesn't that make you more of the slut than anything else? Because you're the one that's putting all the exclamation points everywhere. And I feel like there was a story to tell there, and it just does not get told. Well, there was also a story to tell in the fact that the Kappas, so the sisters, right? So there, there's the, the Signu Pi, Sigma Nu Pi is the fraternity. The sorority are the Kappas. And they're drinking slogan is to honor to honor to, to honor. honor if you can't come in that's the girls that's what they say when I they know, take their I shots before they leave i didn't understand what the fuck i was supposed to get out of that i don't know either it's very confusing is it that you know what you're also contributing to a culture of equating promiscuity and drinking and sleeping around, but that's terrible. It certainly can't be saying that, can it? Because there's a big difference between being promiscuous and bullying people and rape. Like, there's a huge difference. So, like, what is the, like, what's going on with that? Like, I don't know what I don't it's know. supposed to mean. I really don't. Which isn't to say I haven't heard that before. It's just weird that it's the women that are the one that are saying that. As if, like, yeah, that's the type of culture we're trying to foster here. Exactly. Exactly. Meanwhile, at the frat party, they are talking about that exclamation point, and the main girl's brother, you're going to find out later that they are brother and sister, he is going to say, I thought we weren't doing that anymore. It's a stupid game. Well, and later on, we'll find out that Ellery, our main character, is like, you're not supposed to do that to any sisters. Which is what kind of sparks everything that happens in this movie. So, like, which is it? Were they not going to do it at all? Were they just going to do it? Were they going to do it, but not to the sisters? Like, the movie doesn't know the answer to that. And none of the characters seem to either. I didn't know that she ever said... She did. ...specifically to the sisters. I always was under the impression that she was just against it from the get-go, but... No, the whole point is that What's-Her-Face is a sister. Tag the hose to protect the bros! It's a stupid game. We said we'd knock it off. But I told your frat not to post that shit with Kappas. But that's all going to be lost when you find out that her brother was accused of raping a girl. They don't go into what happened. They don't go into mm -hmm. any kind of specifics. They don't tell you anything, really, except that that was a thing that was said. So here's the scenario. First of all, the only reason this movie seems to be called Initiation is because it happens to get started on the night of pledges, like pledges are going through their initiation and that's it. None of the plot has anything to do with initiating anything. Again, I think that the game was part of the initiation. I think that was a whole thing that was, that was a subplot that got taken out. Yeah. And again, certain writers were just, they stuck to their guns and they got initiation as the title, even the though it best, no longer made sense. Right. The best I can think of is that metaphorically, single acts initiated major consequences that affected everyone's lives. And I think that's one of the things it's trying to say is that this sort of thing isn't just a quiet secret. Like it affects everybody. It doesn't tie into an actual plot related element. So it's not like a, it's not a metaphor for anything because it's, it's just literally that. So I don't know. Right. But what I was saying is something gets lost when you find out that she worries that she can't trust her brother, mm -hmm. but she doesn't act that way at all prior to this. 
Right. And there's this whole concept of she's there for her sisters. She cares about her sisters. She wants them to have the buddy system. It's really important. But she doesn't think to maybe to keep them away from her brother. Yeah. Whether and the or other not thing you is, believe what happened, right. maybe you should just keep your brother away from girls until... This is what we're talking about when the movie's kind of all over the place. Because also, I think some of it makes sense. Some of it is all over the place because reality is all over the place. And you don't know for certain what happened in reality. So to an extent, I understand that. But there's but another side of it. we don't have enough information. But even beyond that, there's another side of it where it's it seems that it's confused. And that even they it don't know confused. what happened. Exactly. Like that's – and so it's – we uh, – so there will be this one pledge. Her name is Kylie. She gets wasted. She gets brought up to the suite upstairs at this frat. Inside this room is her completely clothed, underwear, bra, everything. Which seems odd if what they're suggesting happened, happened. Also, the person they're suggesting did it, also fully clothed, sitting in a stupor, not able to register that anything is happening or going on. Had obviously, okay, whether or not he assaulted her here or it was the other guy or no one did, I don't know because oh, we yeah. don't mm -hmm. find out. Although it is implied there's DNA, so something happened. But there, we never get the results of that We never test. get the results of that, so we don't know. There, there's just so much information that's not given to you. But it is extremely clear that no matter what happened in this room, both Kylie and the brother have been drugged. Yes. So at that point, you cannot hold either of them responsible for what happened. Right? right. It's so, an against their will kind of thing, especially since the brother, whose name is Wes, by the way, they have this hardcore conversation about how important it is that he goes to the Olympics and how clean he has to keep his body and everything like that. Uh, meanwhile, Ellery is smoking weed Swim and stuff like fan, that. anybody? Right, yeah. <laughs> Which is also weird because later, let's get this out of the way right now, he will get absolutely chewed out by this guy that looks like his dad's age, who coaches the team and is very insistent that he goes to the Olympics. And then you find out that's not his dad at all. He doesn't even have a name. He never comes back into the movie ever again. Oh, no, he does make a comment at the later. But yeah. Um, but that's it. And then we never actually meet his dad. We get one conversation over the phone. I think we do see him at some point. I don't think we do. But it even if we matter. did, it's, not, it's pointless. It's a pointless thing. Like, there's so much that's just introduced and then just dropped. Yes. And meanwhile, this whole entire thing is just beautifully shot. And well acted. <laughs> and well acted, yes. Even though it's, it makes no sense. Right. So, I don't know. And again, like, it's leading us to believe that, honestly, it's the... The other dude who orchestrated all of this, and yet later... Bo is his name. Right. I don't know why I was going to say, and yet later. He's not the killer, but the killer is a whole other story. So. Yeah. So, they just know something happened. She was drunk up in the room. Everyone was fully clothed. She was passed out on she's the bed. She's going to think that something happened to her. The and next morning she'll think Like we about said, it, there's yeah. going to be DNA on the shorts, but we're no, not we going to know, know that. what that is. No, we don't know that. We just know that she tests the shorts for DNA. We do not know that there is anyone's DNA other than the girls. Because again, we're never told the results of that test and they never come up again. Right. That whole scenario is only used to show that the dean at the school 
played by a comedic actor. Right. You only know him from comedic roles. That he downplays these sort of events. And, and he's he trying says, to be like, we don't want to hurt anybody's yeah, careers. Don't, uh, whatever it was that you were going to do. I guess what his point is, we're going to take it all away from you. Because we never find out what the answer was. But he basically says... We wouldn't want your brother's reputation to be tarnished. And, yeah, and then, so the implication is this is exactly what happened last time. So he's just covering it up for him. Yeah. So, a couple of things as we go on. Because, I mean, this event happens that night. I will say, I think it's a standard, and I think it's a good standard now that we see very clearly what happens in all these DMs. And that they DM through whatever social media that they're using. So we get their profile pics as well. So it's very clear who they're talking to at all times. And when you don't yet know what characters are what, who is who, you're still able to tell that, oh, the person that I'm seeing on screen right now is talking to the person who matches that picture. Makes it very easy to understand. But in today's day and age, when we do so much communication electronically, it's great that they just did something that wasn't unique, but they just did it right, I would say. It was a fun little visual that would pop up whenever they were they were DMing each other. Mm-hmm. It was well done. It helps a lot early on in the movie. So, this girl, Kylie, wakes up in the morning and, oh, my dad's going to kill me. He hasn't been able to get a hold of me. I think something happened last night. I don't know who it was, but I was blacked out and I think something happened. And so girls go into sister mode, right? We have Ellery, our main character, and we have uh, Shailene. Uh, They're really good friends, um, and they're taking care of Kylie, like making sure she's okay. Does she want to talk about it? You don't have to, but don't think that you shouldn't. You know, do you want to report it? We will go with you. Like everything – they're doing everything right as like sisters mm-hmm. are concerned. But Kylie's like, no, what am I going to do? Go in. I think something happened, but I don't know who it was. Like what's going to – it's going to sound ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's very like believable as an experience that real women have. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that at least. Yes. I thought that the the stuff with the girls was all handled well except for the weird – cheers that they did at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Otherwise, I think, yeah, that they do a lot of the girl stuff well. Ellery will be pissed because she's the one who got Kylie out of that room when she was looking for her at the end of the night. So she goes to talk to her brother. So, like, what were y'all doing in there? You were just hanging out? Where? After the party? After the 3 party. 3 a.m.? I don't know. I was in bed by 2.30. No, Wes, you were in his room. Actually, I was in here, asleep. No, you were in Bo's room, and you were super drunk, and I texted you afterwards, so you can check it. You were there. I don't know if you don't remember it, but don't fucking lie to me. Now, here's the thing about that not remembering. That's what he claimed last year. Yes. Everyone is aware of that. His brothers are aware of that. Um, Malik, uh, the other sister's Shailene's boyfriend. boyfriend. Shailene's yeah. boyfriend, He's going to confront him later and be like, this is exactly what you said last time. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should stop drinking so much. Mm -hmm. It's unfair because it really did seem like, and again, we don't know, but it really did seem like he was drugged. Yeah. The way they they showed it, it felt like he had been majorly drugged. And so he is not responsible. 
whether or not it happened because But he can't even bring it up because it might dash his Olympic hopes. Well, the future of young white men is more important than women or people with color. That's what Well, it's also because is. he's claiming and he doesn't remember what happened last year. And if that's true, then it's also possible that he did assault right. someone and it but, was his fault. No, but see, but that's that's what makes me think that if he's telling the same story as last year and we we assume he was drugged this year. Was he also drugged last year? I do not think that is the implication. That, uh, I but the no, implication. I know. I agree. I think it'd be ridiculous if that was the case. So what are we being told here? What was that scene where it looked like he was drugged? No, I think that he was drugged this time. Mm -hmm. I think that the brother, Bo, is so mad that he was... In fact, we are told this later by the guy who goes to the cops. He tells them. Yeah. I think Bo's the killer because... Last year when... Wes got our, uh, our fraternity in trouble. What happened last year? He's the reason that we were on social probation. Bo wanted him out. So let's do that thing again that would potentially get us in trouble again. Or maybe get him kicked out. Yeah, but also we know Wes isn't the killer. So this per the perspective of this kid, Dylan, by the way, who looks like he's 35 years old, and I think he might be related to the director because they share the same last name. The director is John Berardo, and Dylan is listed as James Berardo. But besides all that, he gave him his phone right back. Like, he intended for him to realize what he had done. He intended for him to delete the comment. Yeah, so I'm so confused. Wes is the one that left the exclamation point on Kylie's profile, and that's what gets her starting to get upset. Are you seeing why I did not recommend people watch yeah, this? Yeah, no, a totally. a lot of problems. Totally. I, well, see, here's – I'm getting to my note now. I, I, I put down after more horror comes into the movie, I say, it's so much a drama putting on a horror plot line, and I don't know why it's so striking. Not necessarily incredible, but striking, and in a good way, I'd say. But, like, it's very – it left me in a very confused state, and I don't think a very profoundly a, a confused state, if that makes any sense. All of the elements of a slasher, but filmed like a dramatic thriller. So, let's get to the murders. Yeah. Wes is going to die first. It's Monday Funday. Aren't you coming out with us? Bro, everyone does Monday Funday. He doesn't. He stays in, takes a shower or whatever, while everyone else goes out for the night. Because this is right after where Malik had confronted him saying you shouldn't drink so much. Yeah. And even though he yells at Malik there and is kind of a dick to him, he decides not to go out drinking that night. Yeah. But also because it's Bo and he's really pissed uh -huh. at Bo right now. Also, as a side note, like the movie... Loki wants you to think that Malik is the killer. Like it puts it in a bunch of situations where it's like feels like Malik's the killer. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like he had he got had like scheduling conflicts and like and so couldn't, couldn't be there for yeah, the second uh -huh. half of the film. So they just had to keep coming up with excuses why he wasn't on screen. Right, because why wouldn't you just have a new person to kill? Yes. But anyway, while he comes downstairs, he sees furniture stacked up in front of all the exits. And he's like, what the hell? Hey, come on, guys. What's going on? And then he realizes nobody's there. And then he gets really scared. And then he sees a guy wearing a mirror mask, which, by the way, is a mask worn by Dylan at the party. Yes. Dylan being the guy who is going to accuse Bo later in the police station. Yeah. Dylan didn't do it, by the way. We're, Dylan's going to die, right too. Now. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to die, too. So is Bo. So is Bo. So... <sighs> By the way, all three people are going to be drilled to death. Yeah, spoilers. All three people that were involved in the the incident last year and this year, Bo and Wes and Dylan, who's like the lookout. 
Now, see, here's the thing. They're going to do a, a pretty decent job, I'd say, of tricking you into thinking that the girls are also in danger. Yeah. They're going to really trick you into thinking that the uh, science nerd who we have not talked about is going is, yeah. is in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to do an excellent job of tricking you for through all of that, and you're going to be wondering who on earth could the killer be. And when you finally find out, it's like, Oh, oh, wait, okay. you did all that mystery for that for, for <laughs> something that's kind of fucked up. OK, it's also like it's not very like the ending plays it like a do we just blow your mind? And it's right. like, no, that's kind of the boring answer. I, I don't know that it's boring. I know that it's uncomfortable. What are they trying to say with that ending? Yeah. Oh, we should also say that when they get killed, they get cut up. Somebody throws a hammer. (laughs) No, the killer throws a hammer at Wes and, like, hits him with it, but doesn't kill him with it. Kills him by, like, drilling into him. And he, like, crucifies him against a wall by these long screws. And get it? They're getting drilled to death. Get it? Because they're rapists. Yes. There's going to be a whole lot of wondering, who is it? Who is it? Right? You're wondering, is it Bo? Is it... Dylan, is it the science guy? And all, is it Malik? Right. And all of these males that they make you think are going to be at it, like you're going to see scenes with them that just show the problems with misogyny. Like, Bo's father doesn't really care if he did it or not, but he just wants Bo to be given freedom. Right. The weird guy that works with her. Gets her in trouble specifically just because she won't date him, basically. We assume. And he makes her, he puts her in very uncomfortable situations and like, he could very easily be a rapist and perhaps he's just never given the opportunity. Right. Like, I wonder, I I mentioned to you at the time, he is very, very uncomfortable in like a very effective way, which is another reason I'm like, I mean, a lot of what this movie does, it does well. All of these characters are beyond believable. This guy... Yeah. Every single girl has known this man. He is so incredibly awkward, and you don't know whether to feel sympathy for him because of how awkward he is, or to be terrified of him because and he might feel, be a fucking psychopath. And we feel both. Yeah, exactly. And we feel both. And the thing is, is that some girls choose the cold shoulder because they are so scared, and then we are targeted as bitches, and yeah. then we also mm-hmm. have put ourselves in a target mode. But at the same time... If we're too nice to them, mm-hmm. they will think that we are giving them an open door. Uh-huh. And then we also put ourselves in danger's yeah. way. So we are fucked either way. The movie I does want it, you I guys to know that. A very good <laughs> job of making the audience feel that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's effective in plenty of ways. But there's also all the other shit we've been talking about where it's like, what? this is a failed movie in these regards. The excuse of, well, reality, you, in reality, you don't get all the answers, and we're trying to make you feel like the people involved might feel. I get that, but that only goes so far as far as, like, explaining away problems I have with the movie and getting me to like it instead. Oh, and with Dylan, the thing you're going to get about Dylan is he's going to try to put Bo under the bus and keep yeah. himself out from under it because he is the one that would watch the door yeah, uh-huh. for Bo. Right. Because I think they're roommates. Yeah, he was the lookout guy. So, anyway, Dylan comes home alone. Never explained why he comes home alone. He comes home alone at the front door and it's locked. No, he's with Bo. Bo runs around the side. The whole point is that they're not there together. Mm. They meet at the door. Mm. He shows up at the front door and it's locked. And then Bo comes running around the side 
And he's like, oh, man, the, I, I got here right before you. And the door was locked and I tried to get in through the window, but that was locked, too. So I don't know. Maybe you can help me push through the door because it's blocked. Right. And the question is, like, was it Bo? He was here this whole time, maybe. And now he's just popping out and explaining it away like. Right. Skeet Ulrich in Scream. Yes. When he pops in the window and he mm-hmm. literally was there. We're also going to get even more of that misogyny. We're going to see one of the security guards who totally just talk, brushes it off like, it's just a game. You know, we're trying to stop it. Oh, yeah. The head of security told, tells the detective that, yeah, it's a shitty game. Whatever. It's just a game. We've had some issues of cyberbullying on campus. Uh, boys calling out girls on social media after hooking up with them. It's, uh, it's a crude game. And the detective is a the woman, and she's, like, thing. just in awe and shock of everything mm-hmm. that she's seeing. And I'm like, I don't know that a detective would be in shock of well, what that, she's seeing. that comes she's after... Seen, she's probably seen a lot of this. That does come after Wes dies. They find the body together, and then it's a big kerfuffle around the fact that Wes is dead. Ellery meets... Bo's death? He's gonna die... Bo's gonna die soon here. Right yeah. after jerking off? But, like, the computer's turned the wrong way? It's so bizarre! <laughs> okay, so... First, just want to explain, we meet Officer Rico. He kind of works for the primary detective. He was the first officer on the scene, and that's what he tells Ellery. And she, by the way, has a fucking meltdown when they come to tell her, and it is just an incredible scene. I think Lindsay Levanchi, however you pronounce her name, who plays Ellery, does such a good job here of, like, breaking down, finding out that her brother is dead. So I don't want us to skip over that because that's a very effective scene. She's like, no, 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 wait, hold on, wait. Let me just give him a call. Like, you're obviously something's wrong. And then she does, and it goes right to his voicemail. And, like, she can't accept it, and her brain just will not accept it. Wait. Uh, um, no, he, uh, he just texted me. I'm sorry, Miss Scott. Um... I'm going to call him. What? <clears throat> Talking to the best, you know it's Wes. Hang up and message me. Scott, um, wait, sorry. Just get, just. Talking to the best, you know it's Wes. Hang up and message me. No, um, Miss Scott, I'm sorry. Wait, hang on. I. Talking to the best, you know oh it's Oh my Wes. God. Hang up and message me. <sighs> Miss Scott, your brother is dead. I'm gonna call my dad. I'm gonna. Wait, 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 what? This is wait. No, I just let me, let me, let me, let me, let me just call him. Talk to the best, you know it's best. Hang up and message me. I don't want to come with you. I want to talk to my brother. She's starting to panic, and she does an incredible fucking job. And it's a long, unbroken shot. A first when she notices that there are cop cars there and then she calls somebody and doesn't get a response. She has a bunch of text messages saying, her you need to call me. Her. Yeah. Who, by the way, her friend is definitely vibing with the girl from Clueless. You have to put side by side photos. Oh yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And, and then she realized she thinks about the cop car there that she hears the cop car's door close and she texts her friend back. What, what's up? I had my phone off or whatever. And then they knock at the door And she's like, wait a minute. And like, all these things must be going through her mind. It is an incredibly well done scene. 
But I just want to make sure we don't get past that. This is after she's already done the DNA test, which, again, we never see the results of. Tyler treats her all weird. She gets told. So Bo's death. He goes to a dorm because they have to get out of their frat house. They go to a dorm and he gets his own room and he calls a 30 minute meeting and then cut to him running into his room. It's the weirdest transition. There must be a scene missing. It is so bizarre. You're wondering, wait, did he run back to his room before the meeting or is the meeting over with now? What was the meeting about? If the character that we're following called it, why didn't we get to hear what it was all about? And why did it have zero impact on anything going on? Why even bring it up? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. He goes into his room. He opens his laptop. He turns it away from him, so it's facing sideways as he sits down There's and he starts masturbating. Playing. And we hear like moans and stuff like that, but it's unclear if it's on his headphones. Is it something he recorded? Is he on the phone with a sex line? Is it coming from the laptop right now and he's not looking at it and he prefers to listen to the audio? If so, why is that an element of this? <laughs> like, it's so bizarre. Meanwhile, the killer's been in the room the whole time and grabs him right as he comes and kills him. Yes. Okay. I think it's because maybe they just didn't want to have to show porn on the screen. There could have been a lot of things you could have done. Have him backlit, but I guess that would be frontlit. So film him from behind and have him backlit. It's just a shadowy outline of a dude masturbating (laughs) with the light of the screen, like, bleeding out. Mm -hmm. Like, you could have done that. Mm -hmm. And then every other shot, you're filming his face, which means the camera, the laptop is not facing towards the camera. So you don't need to worry about it. I don't, it's so bizarre that they chose to do that. I don't. Meanwhile, very suspiciously, but apparently not actually, the dean calls her to his office at like six o'clock at night. It's also a little unclear if he's actually the dean or like, what is he? Student affairs. Yes. But so the two girls go with her because they're good friends. And like, you're thinking like, okay, is he the bad guy? No. He just He's weirdly not. asked her to come at 6.30 at night, yeah. and the the killer was already prepared and had shut, had locked them in. And it's like, when you find out that the killer had no intention of killing anyone except for the dean, it makes why no didn't sense. he wait until everyone else left? It makes no sense. You're right. You're absolutely right. Oh, we didn't mention that Dylan gets killed here, so he, he does give a statement to the police- and he says what what we said before about how it might be Bo. Bo was very mad at Wes, and they don't know that Bo's dead yet. He goes to the bathroom because he's starting to feel sick, and he's, like, crying in the bathroom. And then somebody comes in and tries the door, and it is a stark white bathroom. When I say this movie is striking, this is the sort of thing that I'm talking about. It is a stark white bathroom. And then when the dude breaks in and kills him there... Uh, the, the bad guy's wearing all black against the white bathroom and then the blood everywhere across the white. It's just a very beautiful shot. Yes. Very well composed, I would say. Yes. But almost lazily well composed. I don't feel like it's like very well thought through. It's just somebody had a really great idea and then just executed on it and didn't think two, three, four steps or anything like that. I wouldn't say they're genius or anything, but it is still striking. So Dylan's dead now, too. But yes, and so now basically everyone in here is going to be attacked in some way, shape, or form. Malik is not with them because why? He had practice? He why had they would have practice coach? right after Wes just died? I don't know. I, it's so bizarre. It's not, it sounds like, like a I, lie. I, we think that 
I think the character, I think the actor had to go they do had something. To, they had to explain like why he wasn't there. Or something. Yeah. Couldn't be on set. Anyway, it's Kylie, the woman who may have been raped from earlier, Shailene, Ellery's best friend, and Ellery. They all go to the Student Affairs building. Turns out that Tyler turned her in for using the DNA test. Uh, oh, that's thing. right. That's the other thing that's going on. Why he called her up, but still, why at night? Yeah, it's so weird. Again, we've never found out what the results of the DNA test are, or even that she knows the results. Yeah, nothing. No other information about that is given. Ellery, however, took it upon herself to still tell Kylie that her brother was involved in an accusation the prior year, and he was in the room with you. I don't know what that means. But I just figured it was best to let you know. And that makes Kylie very upset. She doesn't want to be there right now. Uh, she wants to get out of there. Meanwhile, Ellery's getting this conversation with Lachlan Monroe, who you may know from like Scary Movie and other such things. He's the chancellor. Not the dean. Not the dean. They call him a ch the chancellor. And he does the whole spiel about, oh, yeah, you're a villain. It's this sort of passive status quo thing that he does where we don't want to hurt anybody's reputations or anything like that. It'll be a big old mess. So basically let's not pursue it. We'll say we do a rigorous investigation, but not actually do anything. If this is a culture that's here on campus, it's not our fault because if people don't come forward, what are we supposed to do? Like that's that whole thing. Motherfucker, are you trying to say you don't know what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, come on, mm -hmm. come on. Anyway, but they end up getting attacked by the killer, and it's crazy. The Chancellor dies, even though he puts up an admirable fight. <laughs> uh, Tyler freaks out and runs into a wall. There's this whole awkward thing about how he doesn't know how to get out, which is a very long, protracted way of saying they're trapped there. Yeah, I kind of liked that. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that, like, he was... He legitimately is just like, do you guys know how to get out here? But because he's so awkward and weird and makes people the uncomfortable. girls are like, um. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to talk to him. They're like, I don't know, use the door. And he's like, okay. And he leaves and he doesn't bother to explain. Yeah, all the doors are locked. He doesn't say that. He says yeah. it to the chancellor. Why do you think he doesn't say it to the girls? Because. He doesn't know how to interact with them. He feels like they're. Looking uh, they, down yeah, on him, uh -huh. even though he's the one that made them uncomfortable in the first place. Yeah. And he's the one who didn't bother to explain himself. Right. Awkward people don't know what, how to behave socially. But, yeah, he's going to get knocked out, but then he, it's going to sound like he's being murdered. But the truth is that he's just being uh, gagged and tied up by the killer. But so the girls, of course, are terrified of him, so, of you the murderer. You don't think that he gets killed there? He doesn't. You see at the end Do you that see he's him fine. alive? Yeah. Oh, oh, I guess because he's not involved in anything. Yeah, he wouldn't he's not be killed. In you're right, you're right, you're right. Because I thought that was a, a problem with that premise is that I thought Tyler was killed, but I guess he wasn't killed. He is not killed. It he just sounds, tied up yeah, we gag. don't see it at all. He yells a lot, so it sounds like he's uh -huh. being killed. And I think they did that on purpose. They want you to think he's being I was, killed. I was very good then. I, yeah. would, I would give him that. So, yeah, the girls are separated, though. But again, all this good mystery about a terrible decision. Yes. Why why they don't have any cell phone reception is never fucking explained. 
There's certain buildings, don't. man. My school, in my building, my service is terrible. I understand, but it's better than, wait, why don't we have any reception? I'm not getting any bars. Why not say something, oh, we got to go down to the student union. Ah, oh, the student union, I never get any reception there. Like, why not put that somewhere ahead of time? Because otherwise it sounds like he did something to a nearby cell tower or whatever. Like, and absolutely that's not what happened. Well, he might have. He would have had to do it to, if you can't get to the nearest cell tower, you'll get to the next nearest cell tower. He's a cat. I understand. Well, we haven't revealed that yet. I have. (laughs) So, Kylie and Ellery are stuck together getting away. There's very tense moments getting away from the killer. Shailene is in the courtyard in the center. There's this whole back and forth. It is very tense in many ways. I will say, but ultimately what ends up happening is they're trying to get away and he's looking for them. He's already killed the people he's wanted to kill. Literally every single one of the people he's wanted to kill. He's subdued the one other guy there who he doesn't want to kill. Just fucking leave, man. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Why not just go? You don't want to hurt the girls, so why are you chasing after them to tell them that you're not going to hurt them? Yeah. Just leave. Which is exactly what he does, and we find out, oh, it's all a big misunderstanding. And so when protecting herself from the man who actually has done real murders... Of her brother, of all things, Ellery ends up getting an opportunity when Kylie jumps on his back, she stabs him, only to find out that it's Kylie's dad, the cop, Officer Rico from earlier. Now, I love Ellery's look of shock throughout this whole scene. Oh, it's so good. I love Kylie's terrified shouts of, I didn't didn't know, know, I didn't know. But also at the same time torn about the fact that her father's lying there dying. Yeah. Uh, Like, I I thought that all that drama was excellent, but I'm like, you had the cop father of the girl who was raped, or potentially raped, murder violently. Everyone who's involved. Everyone who's involved that you don't even know what actually happened. So what are we supposed to think? Is he a hero or is he a villain? There are so yeah, there's layers here, like, of problems, like... And then, then the movie wraps up, like, almost immediately here. We find out that the officer is still alive. He did not die, Kylie's dad. And they're being separated and dragged off. And it's like, wait, are they being arrested? We hear a news report about how they were being belligerent, and so they had to be restrained. But that there were no arrests being made? Right. Because he's a cop? What are you saying And so there? is he not being arrested? So, like, then you're starting to wonder, what is Ellery's shocked face? Should it be a confused face? And then are you just going to fucking end the movie on that moment? Also, why did he have the mask? <laughs> Well, why? Yeah, why would he have the mask from that? I guess the first person he goes to kill, there's a mask there. Maybe, I guess. Yeah. I guess I, it. It's a very bizarre ending. It seems like, well, they stabbed a cop. Well, what if the cop's still alive? What is he gonna say? Yeah, my daughter and her friend are responsible for stabbing me. Well, but arrest them. I also killed four dudes. Well, he doesn't have to say that. But my <laughs> point is, it's like if it looks bad for them because they stabbed a cop. Because of who the cop is, they're not going to get in trouble for that. Even if they're trying to prosecute somebody for stabbing a cop. They're not going to get in trouble for that. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about no arrests have been made for about the... I thought that the cop oh, yeah, was he's going to get away with, with it. it. Right. Cop. And so are we supposed to be shocked that he are got away with it? Are we supposed to be happy that he are got away with it? Are we supposed to be happy? I'm yeah, so it's confused. very unclear. But again, again, I think you can fall back 
ever so slightly on the idea that this is reality. There are no easy answers, and we're not going to tell you what to think or feel. We're not going to tell you what really happened, because in real life, you wouldn't fucking know what happened. You need to make these decisions for yourself. That said, there's so much that's just, it's poor, poorly communicated that I don't think it's a, oh, it's a mind puzzle. You tell me what you think, right? Like, that's the idea. But no, it's just bad storytelling. It's a bad story. So, like, I'm conflicted. This is why I say, like, it's a horror movie, but it's not a horror movie. It's really, really great and also terrible. And I I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're talking about it. We're getting excited about it in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's good or bad kind of doesn't matter. I bet you the filmmakers would say they've done their job. You know what I mean? But the movie's fucking over. It's just over. Just ends right there with Ellery's shocked face that she maintains for so long, almost to the point that it's comical. (laughs) But it's still a great look. I thought she was fantastic. I thought she did a fantastic job. She was a great actress, probably because she wrote some of her own stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, how do you, what do you think about this movie, Kelsey? What else do you have to say? I think it's a big old mess. I think there's a lot of good. There's a whole lot of bad. And Yeah, it's a fairly run-of-the-mill plot. Yeah. I mean, think about it. A woman is assaulted. Her dad is actually secretly the killer. And he goes and he kills everyone involved, but there's confusion when he's not actually after the women we think are going to be the next victim. It's a pretty run-of-the-mill plot with a slight twist. It's a drama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess it's probably pretty middle of the road. I'm going to guess like a 53? 61. Okay. Although Initiation struggles to balance its gorier goals against the story's social commentary, that added maturity makes this slasher a slight cut above. I would say, yeah, in a way that, like, it does feel like a more mature film than what we're actually seeing on the screen. And that's confusing to me. It confuses my brain. It has no Metacritic score because it just has, I think, one professional review. No cinema score. Do you think 61 is overrated or underrated? A little tiny bit overrated. Really? Mm-hmm. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 58. I think I'm going to go a full 69, dudes. 69, dudes! Really? Yeah, there's a lot that I thought was engaging and beautiful about this. To the point where, now that I've seen it, I'd want to... I don't know that I'd want to watch it again, But if I did, I'd be perfectly content just watching it. There's just a whole lot of nonsense. I agree. I agree. It it went through too many rewrites and not enough care was put into the plot. It's so funny. You thought our first movie was better than I did. And I thought the second movie was better than you did. Yep. It's interesting. Okay. So that is our back to school week here on Pod Cemetery. Yay. Back to school, everybody. (laughs) Aren't you excited? (laughs) What are we watching next week? Next week is a mind-bending alternate reality week. Time travel There's sort no time of. time travel in the other movie. There kind of is. It's, it's not. It's, it's like, dimension travel. Yeah, but also it's like, I don't know, it's weird. It's anyway, all very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> uh, this was 
from the first time we had our patrons choose a movie, there Patreon. was Patreon.com slash Cemetery. There was one coupling that was pretty close, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. To being second. And that would be, and I know we're stretching it when we say that Donnie Darko is a horror. Uh, it's you haven't more, said that we were watching Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh, Donnie Darko uh, is the movie we're going to be watching. And I know that's not really a horror. Some people do say that the bunny mask is scary. Uh, it's more that it's just creepy ideas going on. It's a creeping on. terror almost. Like it's cerebral. Yes. But we're definitely stretching it here. But it goes uh, just well, like we were I think. With the skulls. Yeah. Well, skulls, I think, is even worse. It goes well, I think, with. Our second movie. Which is Coherence. Which we really liked. Really when, liked. When I we watched it, it the first time. Twice. And I you really have. Liked I didn't it. know you've seen it twice. I showed it to someone okay. else. Okay. That's a fun good. puzzle of a movie about a bunch of friends that get together for what, a dinner party or something like that? Yes. And then there's a comet that passes by that night. Yes. <laughs> Don't get this confused with. Oh, was that other movie that came out at the same the, time? The, the killer party one. Yeah, it's called. It's like the dinner party. The or dinner party. Yeah, but like they came out right around the same time, and so a lot of people got them confused. The invitation. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. No. Um. So Donnie Darko and Coherence. Yeah, excited about that one. I love Donnie Darko. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> so thank you very much to our patrons who uh, showed some interest in in this combination. That is next week. Until then, you can find us, as always, at our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery, where we post a lot of extra stuff pertaining to the episodes, a lot of stuff that uh, is visual in nature, or things that we forgot about, or wanted to clarify. You can follow us there, at podcemetery. Uh, and, of course, at podcemetery.com, we just posted the first issue of Kelsey's book club about Firestarter and... And The Black Phone, reading the original source material of those. And we just recorded an episode on Midsummer Scream, the horror uh, convention that was recently here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're backing us over there at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. And even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You've been digging, Luke. And if you keep digging, you'll be digging your own grave. Loosen up your throat a little bit. That's what she said? I don't know. Bring out the girls! I am a falconer and perform in falconry shows with my owls.
There is some debate in the community over owls being used, but it has gained a lot of traction over the years, and I find my owls are easier to manage for me personally than my other birds were. My friend is having a Harry Potter-themed wedding and is begging me to have me work with one of my owls to have the ring flown down the aisle to them, bringing up how well-trained they are and how it will really sell the moment. Now, in theory, this could be done, after all, nine times out of ten, they'll do exactly what I want. It's just the one time I'm worried about, and I don't exactly want to take that risk with wedding rings. I explained my concerns to my friend and said it wasn't a risk I'd advise they take. I offered an alternative, me coming with all my with all my owls and helping them and the guests take pictures with them and maybe even do a little brief flying show. That's fucking dope! My friend is upset with me, saying she has seen no, how well I've trained them and has complete confidence that they will not mess no. up. Nope, nope, and nope. And this would be such a huge thing for her wedding. And who would be responsible for it if something went wrong? I'd Absolutely not. That. No. You op- offered up an incredible alternative for free. Mm-hmm. What would you rather have? I'd rather have pictures. Right. I'd rather have pictures. Right. And like, yeah, oh, it would be a great moment. You're right. But like, where does it fly from? And then two? No, how, I- how is the ring transported? What happens if it flies away and drops your very expensive ring? I would make a background uh-huh. Like we had at our wedding yeah. of like the owlery. Mm-hmm. And I'd have that set up for pictures. Absolutely. That's way cooler. Mm-hmm. And free. She needs to stop bitching because she had her heart set on something that was incredibly unreasonable. <laughs> no reasonable person would be like, you know what I want to do? The only reason she thinks that is because she has a friend who is an owl trainer. But like that friend is telling you it's not a good idea. It's probably how you should have phrased it. Probably should have said, absolutely not. I know you're right. It would be really cool. But just too many things can go wrong. And I will absolutely not be involved in something that can go that wrong. Not be responsible for it. Because I don't want you to jump in and say, oh, I'll be responsible for it. Yeah, right. And then what? What happens to our friendship then? Like, no. I'm not going to be involved in it, period. I don't want you... Secretly blaming me even though you're not holding me legally responsible or anything like that. Oh, I wouldn't. Don't care. Shit like this goes south and people end up feeling differently. But I can do something that's really fucking cool and that your guests will absolutely shit their pants over. That's a great alternative. Not the asshole. At this point, he doesn't know what happened. Right. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, so sorry. They control everything. You're working for him. I'm innocent. I'm telling you the truth. No one is safe. I work for the senator. <laughs> if you shut up, we'll be done faster. <laughs> Do you want to get a good dad in there just in case? Dad! <laughs> so good. <laughs>